0: Welcome to Meteor Roots Radio. This is your host for today, Robbie Martin. And if you're wondering what that music was at the start of the podcast, no, it is not Danny Elfman's iconic Batman theme. It's actually The Journey to the Center of the Earth Suite by Bernard Herrmann, classic Alfred Hitchcock composer. And this is... Similarity was actually pointed out to me by the guest that I'm having on the podcast today. Unfortunately, Abby will not be joining us today, but I will be joined by a guest, which I'll mention in a little bit here. But today, on Media Roots Radio, I decided to discuss a lighter topic than normal, and that is Zack Snyder's Justice League, the Snyder Cut. With my guest, I'm going to be discussing... A lot of aspects of the movie the implications of it what we thought of it but we also discuss sort of the undeniable trajectory of Ben Affleck getting a CIA boost in his career but first before we get to our guest I wanted to mention something that briefly got into the news before the Snyder Cut got released and it just quickly disappeared And when I first saw this, I thought to myself, well, obviously, the person who noticed this is correct. This isn't just a coincidence. In fact, it almost seems like some kind of Easter egg. And what I'm talking about is this actually appeared in the Snyder Cut trailer, so it's not necessarily a spoiler. Um, But if you're familiar with the DC universe and the creations of Jack Kirby, who a lot of people you know, sort of place under Stan Lee in the history of comic book creators, to me, Jack Kirby is the top. Created some of the most iconic characters of all time in comic books and the superhero medium. One of Jack Kirby's creations is a character named Granny Goodness. Now, Granny Goodness, as described by the website Looper, says that she is a perennial contender for the worst misnomer in the entire DC universe. She may look like a sweet old lady, and her name may suggest that's entirely true, but she's anything but. This granny won't bake you cookies and slip a $20 bill into your bag after you visit her. Oh no, she'll mess your whole life up while keeping a smile on her face. Now, Granny Goodness appeared for the first time in Miracle Man number 2. This is a series of comic books that Jack Kirby started that were based around the world of Apocalypse, which is kind of like a hell planet that the quote-unquote new gods are part of. Darkseid, the sort of DC universe equivalent of Thanos, even though Thanos is actually a ripoff of Darkseid, sort of rules this kingdom of Apocalypse. And he has as his underlings, Granny Goodness and DaSaud and Steppenwolf and a few other sidekicks. Now, Granny Goodness in the comic book is this sort of large, heavy-set old woman. Apparently, Jack Kirby modeled her visually after Phyllis Diller, even some of her attitude in the comic books. But the character of Granny Goodness is actually someone who takes the pleasure in torturing other people. She is portrayed in the comic book as basically a pure sadist type of villain. She likes to put people through vigorous amounts of pain. And specifically, Granny Goodness takes a particular liking to torturing children in the orphanage of Apocalypse. Now, the only reason I'm mentioning all this at the start of the podcast and filling your head with totally obscure comic book lore is because for some reason, Zack Snyder, in his Snyder Cut, decided to make the character Granny Goodness look exactly like unmistakably like presidential candidate and senator Elizabeth Warren. Now the reason this is notable is because in no comic book depiction of granny goodness that I can find do we see anybody that resembles Elizabeth Warren's body frame wearing glasses like her and having a similar short haircut. So getting that out of the way first, I just think it's sort of a fascinating Easter egg, if you will, that Zack Snyder, really knowing nothing about his politics personally, decided to portray one of DC Comics' most sadistic, evil villains, who happens to be a woman, as Elizabeth Warren. Now, perhaps Zack Snyder was a Bernie guy. I have no idea. It's just interesting to see this in a film, so I'm going to say for sure this movie Portrays a sadistic comic book villain as Elizabeth Warren. This villain has no lines in the movie. She appears briefly, almost like a cameo appearance. But when you see her in the movie standing next to Darkseid, it's clear and obvious that that's what it was meant to be. Leslie Lee III is my guest today on Media Roots Radio. Of course, he is the co host of Struggle Session. And you're, are you a rotating guest or are you like a kind of a, a third mic on the Katie Halper podcast, Leslie? Or are you just a frequent guest?
1: Yeah, I'm the co host on Thursday nights.
0: Okay. So you actually, usually. it's a regular thing. Yes. Okay. And then Jack, also from Struggle Session, who is your co host, is also a participant in that now as well, yeah. right?
1: Yes, yes. Every Sunday night, uh, Jack is co hosting Katie's show.
0: Yeah, it's great to see you guys sort of diversifying your, uh, your presence. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> not to say that what you guys already do isn't serious subject material, um, but, you know, it's it's cool to see you guys sort of getting more into sort of like the discussions around minimum wage <laughs> and healthcare and all that <laughs> stuff. So, I mean, you talk about that too on your own podcast, but it's, you know, it's not necessarily a focus. Yeah. Well, someone from Russia is calling me. That's, that's not interesting. <laughs> so it's Someone's trying to stop this, man. <laughs> so. they don't want the truth
1: about the snyder <laughs> cut to get out yeah
0: um so speaking of the snyder cut which is actually the reason i brought you on today leslie um i i guess let's just start first letting people know where we stand on it and i'll just say for me personally i am like the biggest dc fanboy in the world i mean i am i love the dc universe i've seen every single cartoon You know, kind of. I I wouldn't say I have an encyclopedic knowledge of it. I mean, there's other people who definitely, you know, smoke me in terms of like what they know. I don't know if you saw the red letter media thing where Rich Evans, they ask him to 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 recite every monkey character in the DC universe, and he he mentions like six of them, and I was just like, holy shit, (laughs) like, dude, dude knows has got a deep knowledge. So my knowledge doesn't go that far. I mean, honestly, I was a doubter for I don't know when it was since the Snyder Cut was announced up until maybe last month to be completely honest i think i maybe messaged you leslie like a month ago saying this shit actually looks amazing like this <laughs> yeah. is going to be this is going to be like could be amazing you know i tend to hype stuff up i tend to get myself hyped up and you know which often leads to disappointment but this was not that at all i i was completely blown away with what zach snyder did with the fact that this was I don't know, possibly the best DC Comics movie ever. I mean, a lot of people say The Dark Knight is, but that's more of a, I don't know how you would put it. That's more of an interpretation or some kind of, if Batman was in the real world or something, this is this feels more like DC Comics come to life in a totally yes. different way, which I had never really thought could be done. I mean, it just, you know, we've seen all these Marvel movies, so technically it could be done, but I just never imagined it could be done this well. So, obviously, I loved it, you know, if I didn't make that clear already. But, Leslie, what was your reaction to it? I mean, you... I I don't know. We didn't really talk about it until a month ago. So, like, maybe tell me a little bit about when you started to get hyped on it, what were your initial thoughts when you heard the announcement, and then how did you feel once you actually saw it?
1: Yeah. So, I, I came from the same place as you. Like, I wasn't necessarily excited to see it. I didn't necessarily... I think it would be good when it came out. I wanted it to come out. I want I'm always a fan of a director's cut coming out no matter what it doesn't matter if there's a director's cut. i i hope it gets out there but i wasn't necessarily expecting it to be good until i started seeing the trailers that snyder was putting out on his vero and stuff and they looked like really really good and interesting and big and bold and like you said not just an adaptation of the comic book to screen but the comic book come to life and that's what this film felt like to me and I absolutely loved it enjoyed it on that long long four-hour journey um but it really did feel like a comic book story a comic book type story comic book type narrative told in comic book type waves Waves come to life, and because it what had that four hours length, it did have that time to breathe. At the end, you felt like you've read a twelve issue trade paperback yeah. uh, of a of a comic book, and that's just something you don't expect to see in a movie. That's just not what movies do. That's not the type of stories movies tell. But in but because of the strange circumstances of this, because of Snyder's insistence on taking comic books seriously and his attempts to explore them as a medium using film like we get this really interesting artifact that I think will probably go down as the best and closest thing you're ever going to get to a real deal superhero uh, movie on the screen I, I think that's just it like this is this felt like the uh, uh, de- uh, the Justice League cartoon uh, you know uh, like a extra special version of uh, extra special episode of that you know like a four-hour episode of that it felt like it just felt like so big and assured of itself it doesn't have to wink at the audience and say we all know this is silly it doesn't have to explain to the audience that, well you really really do have to believe in these heroes and superheroes no it comes in with the same assumption that you know the justice league cartoon comes in you know the deal you know you're watching a superhero movie you want to see some superhero shit let's go
0: yeah yeah man i mean i'm glad you actually agree with my my description of it being sort of a comic book come to life because while that may sound like that's what all comic book movies are to people who are you know maybe casual fans or whatever i mean i do think it's distinctly different than what we've seen from the marvel cinematic universe what we've seen from almost any comic book movie of the last 20 years. I mean, I, I with the exception of maybe, and I don't know if you'll agree with me on this. I think you mentioned Ang Lee's Hulk, which I think is a kind of a good example. It's, a, it's maybe a misfire, but it has it has it's trying to do that. It's at least really trying to do that It's maybe not landing it 100% correctly. You know, maybe less than 100%, so, but you know, I really love that
1: movie. Oh, I you really did? do. Okay. I I really do love it. I think it and it really does Ang, Ang Lee really does try Um, Because he's just such a masterful director who can do anything. He tries to bring the language of comic books to the language of cinema in ways that I think are really excellent. I think the biggest misfires are just like kind of the problem with the Hulk he doesn't have that many cool villains so yeah, like Ang there so when it comes down to the 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 fighting there's not that much interesting for the Hulk can uh Hulk to do ultimately but yeah I really do love that movie and I think you know just putting a superhero on screen is not the same thing as creating a true adaptation of a comic book which I think Zack Snyder has been trying to do for almost the entirety of his career from 300 to Watchmen to Man of Steel to Batman for Superman now to Justice League he has been trying to perfect this and make this better and he's gotten so good at it I think he's made pretty much the perfect superhero movie now maybe you don't think that uh, maybe you don't think superhero movies are good. Maybe you don't think comic book stories are worth telling. That's fine. But I don't think that you're ever going to get anything that really compares to this.
0: Yeah, and it's really interesting too because I just I like I said I was a doubter. I didn't even I didn't think Zack Snyder was capable. If I'm really being honest, not that I thought that he was a bad filmmaker, not that I overtly disliked him. I just felt that he wasn't doing. That my, he wasn't doing the DC universe I wanted to see uh, until this. Like I was, it was honestly a shock to me. I mean, that's like how different it felt. I mean, but we're gonna go into Man of Steel and and Batman vs Superman because there's a lot more to talk about there. Um, but I wanted to kind of go back to this to this idea of you know the U.S. government. You know, Alan Moore, obviously, he, he said a lot of things about superheroes. He thinks that it's sort of a alarming sign that superheroes are so culturally popular right now. And I could completely understand where he's coming from. And, you know, we have examples of literal superhero franchises and characters either working with CIA agents in the plots of their movies or actually yes. the military and the Pentagon actually sort of advising scripts for the very first uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, Iron Man, and actually telling them that they wouldn't give them the military uh, participation that they wanted unless they actually made the villain not Howard Stark, Um, because they originally was going to be his father was going to be like secretly, you know, funding terrorists. Um, And it goes, the plot went a little deeper than that. It got a little more sort of deep state-ish than that. That, you know, since the very inception of these, of the main franchise right now, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's kind of starts where he's in Afghanistan. It's got this sort of war on terror, putting it into the present kind of plot to it. Um, and even though it's supposed to be like Tony Stark is like anti-military industrial complex, it's still sort of kind of planting its feet in both both sides in a weird way. I guess the reason I'm bringing this up is because, you know, it's obvious you guys talked extensively about how bad it is uh, that Black Panther ultimately comes down to uh, the, a CIA agent saves the day and the, the plots <laughs> yes. for that. Uh, so we know that Marvel is, doesn't shy away from doing that. I mean, but there's another thing I, th- I think happening here that people don't know about. And not to say that I am saying that the DCEU or Zack Snyder's lineage in this comes from a CIA uh, program of some kind, but there is sort of an interesting past here that I wanted to go over, and I wanted to get your opinion on this. Um, because people don't, maybe don't think of DC comic adaptations having anything to do with the US military. There's not even very many military figures in these DC comics movies, besides maybe, I got a little Man of Steel had some stuff going on. In yeah, it. Man of Steel had a lot. But yeah. He
1: cut, yeah, but after that, it kind of moves into the background.
0: Yeah, and ba- and Batman vs Superman definitely had a little bit of it in it. Um, some of that was cut out as well.
1: Yeah, and, and it was mostly a negative or portrayal in Batman vs Superman because they nuke Superman, and they and the CIA like hatches some plot that almost gets Lois Lane killed, and Superman has to intervene. So it, it, so it goes from like a like Superman works with the U.S. military to kill off all the Kryptonians, to do genocide against the Kryptonians. Too. And then, but that movie does end with him destroying a U.S. drone. And then at the beginning of Batman versus Superman, he destroys a U.S. drone again. Yeah, so I, you're right. So, yeah. He, so there is a pullback from that. Um, and and, I, and I, I, we'll get into it later maybe, but I also mentioned that you know there's a pullback from the sort of racism and hyper masculinity of 300 to the Amazons of justice league, where it, it just seems like Zack Snyder is kind of a, a creator who does take some of the critiques he gets seriously. And he, there was a lot of critique about the U S military pre- presence in Man of still, and he completely uh, shifts that dynamic um, even at the end of that movie. But then when Batman vs Superman comes, it's very different.
0: Absolutely, yeah, and I, I honestly, I don't even know if I really want to know what Zack Snyder's political beliefs are because I feel like the more I know, the <laughs> yes. more I might get kind of, I might, it might color my appreciation for what he's doing. Baseline
1: Democrat mostly, just a base, sure, just a, just a baseline Democrat. Okay, guy. just a Hollywood liberal. <laughs> That's all I need to
0: know. That's all I need to know. <laughs> um, but I wanted to also mention. I think I forgot to mention. In terms of bringing a comic book to life, I don't know if you would agree with me on this, but I feel like Sam Raimi kind of achieved that with Spider Man a little bit, maybe the the first and second one. I don't know. How do you feel about that? Did you ever? Yeah.
1: See, I don't like.
0: I really don't like those movies. But then again, I don't like Spider Man. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So it's not like. So I I so I wouldn't. I think he was definitely doing interesting things and was trying to adapt the comic to the screen it wasn't it's not the type of comics i like it's not the type of tone i like but obviously lots of people love them so i'm not going to knock those movies uh on that level i think i think it's very obvious with kind of spider-man 3 he he lost the plot, plot a little bit
0: oh for sure yeah and also that was a lot of apparently studio meddling as well in that people don't really remember how many times studios in general have meddled in all these big franchises i mean we can yeah go back they to
1: fired them. toby Maguire <laughs> yeah. from that movie i mean at one point oh they did <laughs> yeah they fired toby
0: mcguire they funny. fired
1: toby from the third one at one point that's because he was like my back's hurt uh i don't want to do the movie yet. and then sony was like <laughs> you're fired
0: <laughs> that is he was like funny. my well
1: my back's feeling better now i'll, be, I'll, I'll see you monday boss <laughs>
0: Yeah, so I guess the only reason I just thought of him just now is because when I found out Sam Raimi was, had voted for George W. Bush, like I actually like, it was during the time, I think it was like back when it was like really intense, like the Bush era, I was really feeling it. And I remember I just, I, could, I couldn't anymore. I was like, man, I'd really make Sam, Sam Raimi stock lower for me. <laughs> but, but I mean, it doesn't matter to me as much anymore. I mean, everybody, you know, probably has bad politics on some levels in the entertainment industry, Um, but going back to sort of the inception of, uh, what, you know, where this all came from, you know, Zack Snyder, you know, obviously originally, uh, broke through, I guess, you know, Dawn of the Dead, you could argue was really his breakthrough. Uh, I don't even know if he had a commercial, uh, mainstream film before that. Um, but that was like sort of his biggest first movie. And it's obviously a remake of a beloved, you know, movie that has a cult following. It's already kind of a risky thing to take on. Then he makes 300, which maybe doesn't really have as much of a hardcore fan base, but he does it really well. He gets a lot of praise for doing a, a, you know, a very well done comic book adaptation. And then again, he moves to Watchmen, which is taking on something with an even bigger cult following that he's even sort of more protected by the fan base than Dawn of the Dead. Well, not sort of. It really It's like one of the most beloved graphic novels of all time. Um, yeah. So for him to take on that, I mean, it's obviously a, an enormous risk. Regardless of how well he pulled it off, he knew that he was going to get a lot of backlash, which he did. Um, and I think it's kind of interesting that some guy who came from the music video directing background would take on such, like, complex, you know, not just, like, a movie with such a huge cult following, like Dawn of the Dead, and then just put that out there, but then take on such a complex story may Alan Moore with Watchmen and actually do a really goddamn good job, which I still don't like the fact that he changed the ending, but for the most part, I mean, surprisingly well done um, adaptation. Well, Robbie,
1: uh, we actually broke this story on Struggle Session... It wasn't Snyder that changed the ending. It was a uh, David Hayter, who the screenwriter who wrote. Uh, uh, no, it was actually. It wasn't David Hayter. It was. Um, oh, let me look it up. The guy who was doing it before.
0: Um, so Is this the guy who did United ninety three?
1: No, it was. It wasn't. It was Hayter did it after the suggestion because who was he was supposed to direct it before Snyder? Right before Snyder, it was. Oh, fuck oh he's a lo- Darren really Arfousky. Hard- yeah. Darren Aronofsky is actually, his friend suggested the change. And so he changed it. So it was Aronofsky and Hater who changed the ending to, uh, instead of a giant squid, making it Dr. Manhattan. So that wasn't actually Snyder's call. I broke that uh, story when we had David Hater on Struggle Section.
0: Nice. Okay. Wow. That's interesting. Well, that's See that what's what's Zack interesting. Snyder if, innocent. Yeah, he's innocent. <laughs> well, he's absolved with that one. What's interesting you bring that up is because I feel like a lot of that stuff maybe trickles out slowly, you know, years afterwards, especially if it's a movie where someone wasn't like fired from or they didn't have like a falling out, you know, with the studio. Like Richard Donner, you know, did with Superman. This is the Snyder cuts different because we're hearing a lot of dirt not that long after it was made and even recently we're hearing more dirt about all the things that went wrong, all the ways that Zack Snyder got screwed. But I feel like, I mean, on some level this has happened with a lot of these tentpole big franchise movies and we just don't hear about it because they've smoothed it over, you know, behind the scenes in some way. Or they've agreed to be like yeah we'll all take responsibility for changing the squid ending you know we'll all take the hit on that one yeah <laughs> kind of thing it would seem kind yeah. of like that's what Snyder did like he didn't he didn't pass the buck I kind of remember him acting like yeah like it was changed for x y and z you know but I, I feel like it's sort of a it's sort of a convenient narrative that the studio wants to sort of maintain so that it's not like this person's responsible for the you know the fuck up I do you know what I mean
1: well, the, the, here's the thing. He took the hit on Justice League for exactly. about a year, or two years. He didn't say, he didn't really talk trash about the version of Justice League that came out, even though everybody hated it. Eventually, he did. But initially, like, he took all the heat on it. Like, he's not like, like a bad guy. Like, he's not like, tr- he, like, he didn't get into this to like embarrass his other people or anything like that he just he kind of like got thrown into this controversy it's just so weird it's just like for some reason like all these bloggers but it basically comes down to a bunch of bloggers like Whedon and dislike Snyder for reasons that have nothing to do with like actual good or evil or morality or anything like that and like that has just Flavored the coverage and how people view this whole thing in really bizarre ways because it's like, like, Whedon was actually the guy who came on set and was like talking shit about Snyder to like the cast and the crew. And he got Junkie XL, who was making the soundtrack and ended up getting fired by uh, Whedon. Like, like that was what that's what Whedon's like the petty guy who was like taking revenge. Uh, out on who, what? I don't know why, what? I guess cause he got fired from Avengers or whatever. I don't know. but like he like there's a there are clear heroes and villains in this story, but for as far as the mainstream press goes, the villains are like the fans who are asking to see the Snyder cut. And the heroes were <laughs> the brave executives at WB who put up with the harassment. Like they keep mentioning that Jeff Johns, Uh, Stopped posting on Twitter because of fan quote unquote harassment. What they aren't mentioning is that he basically stopped posting at when uh, Ray Fisher put out uh, his uh, accusations and the uh, and the findings of the investigation came out finding how abusive Whedon was. To Ray Fisher, to uh, Gal, though no, to the cast and crew, and Ray Fisher says that Jeff Johns uh, knew about this and was com- complicit about this. So that is actually why Jeff Johns isn't on Twitter, not because he was harassed, but because fans kept telling him, "Hey, you allowed abusive set to happen. You're a piece of shit. You shouldn't have your job. You shouldn't have gotten a promotion after this. You should have gotten fired."
0: It's so it's so bizarre, and I, I have so much to say about that and i want to just i want to go back jump back a little bit because i forgot to finish the thread about why i even brought up the mcu working with the pentagon and black panther having a cia agent save the day in that film it's that if we go back to the writing duo well i don't know if they were really writing together that much but ben affleck and chris terrio kind of made a really big splash with the film argo and Ben Affleck arguably was kind of had a dip in his career. He wasn't, you know, he was a, he was mostly director at that point, and he was starring yeah. in his own directed films. But that's sort of how people knew him. He was seemed like more like he was trying to be like an art house director, was making these gritty kind of crime movies. Uh, but this was different. This was like a really sort of big budget affair, uh, bigger cast than before. Um, it was adapted from a book that I think was a best selling book. And it's all about how the CIA did sort of this clever operation where they pretended to be making a sci-fi movie in Iran, uh, posing as Canadian filmmakers in order to uh, sort of secretly whisk away the American hostages, or sorry, the American embassy workers who were like hiding out, the ones who managed to escape the embassy when it was taken over by Iranian uh, protesters. These hostages managed to escape and hide out, I guess, at the Canadian Prime Minister's house or something. So the plot, you know, in the movie is is more or less what actually happened in real life. Of course, it's like overly dramatized. But what's really interesting about this is there's a little lineage with uh, Ben Affleck and the CIA. Not just that he made this movie, and that not just Chris Terrio, his writer, actually getting exclusive access to a giant stack of classified cia documents uh for to aid him in his screenplay but that actually people might not remember that affleck actually played jack ryan um which of course yeah. sort of the no- notorious you know this cia franchise essentially where different actors have played jack ryan in different movies it's been alec baldwin it's been harrison ford i can't fucking remember who else um
1: uh, john krasinski now yes that's it for amazon series yeah
0: yeah and he's and he's done more jack ryan content than just about anyone else but one interesting thing he mentioned was that he had a little visit to langley anybody who plays jack ryan gets to visit langley um and you get to see you know the wall with the, the stars of the CIA agents who've died you get to you know take pictures with people just you know get to see secret stuff and so Of course, Affleck was also invited to Langley um, to the CIA headquarters. And you can almost say this is like kind of a rite of passage for anyone who plays Jack Ryan in film. They kind of get like, you know, the CIA is like kind of like probably wants you to see, you know, wants to make you feel like really cool. Um, And part of the fan. Yeah, you're kind of special. I mean, so (laughs) and then, of course, when Argo comes out, you know, there's enough stuff in there to make America seem like they also did bad things during that situation. They go back and talk about the coup, the overthrowing of Mosaddegh. So there's enough things in it where it maybe doesn't seem like obvious CIA propaganda, but it, I mean, it is, I mean, the movie is CIA propaganda. Uh, it wasn't nearly as clever what the CIA actually ended up doing. The story is actually rather mundane. Um, there was no actual, no, none of these people had to pretend to be cameramen or anything like that they show in the movie like there was nothing like that in this operation so it's a fun story but it's made it's by design sort of made to look like the cia is super fucking clever and we did this thing where nobody got hurt you know look how look how good of spies we are so i don't know leslie like <laughs> what do you think about ben affleck a potentially getting a sort of a career boost or a, a, a sort of um sort of a Matthew McConaughey style second chance out of this uh this CIA stuff.
1: Well look like it's as you said, like it's just kind of a rite of passage that if you play Jack Ryan or if you're in any big production that has like CIA that is about the CIA, you get the tour. And I've mentioned many times like I would love to see this tour because there's so many interviews from So many actors that are word for word all pretty much the same where they say, you know, I went in really kind of skeptical, but I learned about, you know, some yeah. of the things that they do to protect our country. And this is worth. like every big, big star has this interview out there. And it's so bizarre to me, like how they get them. Like, I wonder if they have like a hypno ray or something there because they all come out <laughs> talking the exact same way about this stuff. So it, it's but so Ben, I, I is disappointing uh, to see this from Ben because I feel like our Batman would not support uh, the CIA. <laughs> he would just steal weapons from them or something. But I, but you know, it, it this is like very very common. This is this is a thing that is just very very common. Every t- every single star has an interview like this, and it's really like depressing. But it just shows like how good the CIA is at this. How. Easily, they're able able to win sway over like all these big Hollywood big shots. But when do you ever see like someone come out from an interview with, say, a star come out with with an interview with like a workers group or something or a healthcare group and be like, All right, from now on, we're just going to make movies about like healthcare, you know, why everybody deserves healthcare and stuff like that. Just doesn't happen for some reason. The CIA is better at lobbying hollywood than literally anyone else
0: that is a really good point and i think <laughs> especially nowadays you know after russiagate it's like the cia has sort of almost rebranded itself as the heroes you know like they're sort of here oh, to yeah. save us and i think that that's that's uh that is if you look at a lot of mainstream movies today other than like the Michael Bay type of movies where they really, you know, want you to cheer for military people, most of them in general, I think, do usually show the CIA in a good light, or there might be a bad apple in the CIA who's doing something, but there's good CIA agents, with the exception of, I can't, the last one I can think of that was mainstream that was overtly anti CIA feeling was like the Bourne series. I don't know if you can think of any more than that. And-
1: yeah, even with the Bourne series is always like it, the Bourne series never really feels like anti it, it never really came across to me as like anti ca even yeah. though the, like they're always trying to kill Jason Bourne but like you don't know who he is and he was one of them. So really it's just like a fight. Like there's yeah. no like clear moral like Jason Bourne does deserve to die for the things he <laughs> did. And so it's like there's no real you know hero there it's just kind of like a a story of survival and them trying to get rid of this asset that they lost but he signed up for it so it's like you don't really like feel sorry for him it's just more of like a exciting thing you don't you don't feel sorry for Jason Bourne for the most part I don't think
0: oh well, that's absolutely right it's sort of a romanticism of like oh man the CIA is so like crazy and like wild that they actually like have to like Assassinate one of their own like rogue dudes. <laughs> like, yeah. It's kind of yeah. like a fun, but no, yeah, I totally It's really fun.
1: Like, and they all have like cool names Like, one's the librarian, one's <laughs> the cook. Like, it's a very, it's like a very like fantasy type set, even though it has the reputation for being like really sort of real and gritty, but it is kind of like in, on some level a superhero movie in its own right.
0: Chris Terrio actually said in an interview, uh, that he got access to a big pile of CIA documents. And you can kind of see the grooming process in his answers in this interview sort of take that has taken place. He says, well, on the record, I can't say that I saw any of the file, but there are pretty, a lot of effort and a lot of approvals at many different levels going to any CIA operation. Obviously this one, the whole Carter presidency, obviously many lives were at stake. There were a lot of documents. And then he says, going back to your last point, where you're like, this little rite of passage, you know, they always sort of uh, act. And when they come out of the CIA, they always have such positive things to say about it. He says, um, he says, you know, there's a shot that we really wanted to keep in the film of the stars on the wall of the CIA. A lot of those people were never heard from again, were never recovered. Their names still aren't known. Even though I shared distrust of authoritarian organizations, but when you actually look at the lunch pail nuts and bolts of the organization, it's just a lot of guys. Well, at the time, guys. But now men and women who go to work and just try to do the right thing. (laughs) What do you have to say to that, (sighs) Leslie?
1: But it's the same spiel they always give and all of them give it. Like even talking about this comic book thing, Tom King, who is one of the hottest comic book writers right now, maybe the hottest, maybe the number one comic book writer right now, big, largely known for his Batman comics, former CIA agent. Openly, like brings over other writers to the CIA to like recruit them. Like I'm I'm, like not even joking. Like they like this one guy, this one big name writer, like one of the top guys. Maybe I don't know. I forget which one. Maybe it was James Tinney in the fourth. But on that level of like these top top comic guys told the stories. Like oh yeah, Tom hooked me up with his friend who worked for uh, the CIA, and he was able to give me some real pointers on my you know extremely political comic book that I'm making. And it's like he doesn't he he tells the story like with such eagerness not understanding that he's being worked like he's bragging about how the fact, fact that he was like conned by the CIA into writing a propaganda comic and he thinks it's a good thing. It's just they're very good. They have a very good they spit very good game I guess to media. And I think because so much of our media is like espionage and spy based. Those are some of my most fun movies. Those are some of our our most fun TV shows. Uh, Ben Affleck's ex-wife, Jennifer Garner, starred in a commercial for the CIA because she played a CIA agent in the completely ridiculous alias show that has nothing (laughs) and has makes no attempt to have anything to do with reality. And yet still that. That is what the CIA wants us to think they're doing and what they're about. That's and, amazing. Uh, <laughs> Wait, yeah. so
0: JJ Abrams and Chris Terrio both got that a, an original boost by from CIA related material. Yes. I I didn't realize that's what Alias was. I just never watched it. So I just, no, no clue really. Yeah, it was. You,
1: it's a show you never think about. Oh, it's on ABC on Friday night. Maybe I'll be bored enough one time to turn it on. But. There you go. it's a little another little facet of the CIA's like self power that they ex- exercise on us at all times
0: and that's just such a a bizarre thing to think about because you know America and our mentality here is that we're not like these other authoritarian countries which force you to say good things about the country or if you don't. You know, if you criticize a government, say if you criticize the Russian government, you could be arrested or they'll shut down your media outlet or something like that. And that sort of looked at as that's so evil. Look at how bad that is. But like, if you think about what you're saying, it's like, we don't even have to have some kind of top-down authoritarian process. These, The CIA is literally just inviting these people for lunch at their headquarters, even apparent skeptics, you know, who think that, the CIA may be doing horrible things, and then when they come out of that headquarters of that, uh, that office, they somehow have been convinced that the CIA' is great, and they're just regular dudes. like how, yeah that's, that, that a, that's so the main thing disturbing. that they say
1: that they're so regular. They're just regular people trying to make the world a better place. They always say that, that they're so regular. they're just good old normal folk uh, going across the world and you know exterminating, uh people who get in our way. I is is amazing. I don't know what the pitch is. It must be great. Most people I, I have asked, tried to ask people who would know and most of the answers are just like no, actors are just really dumb. That's usually what they yeah. what they say, <laughs> but I don't know. I, I, they see the CIA
0: they they're good at what they do sometimes. They're good at some of the things they do. I have to admit that. I mean, I guess the question I'm asking you is isn't that in some ways more disturbing if that if someone was forced to say something like that yeah. to a fascist dictatorship. Like, yeah, it's it's,
1: it's, cr- <laughs> it's creepier. It's creepier to have, you know, some liberal actor that you think means well just come out there immediately, you know, praising them, forgetting whatever concerns they have, and going on to happily produce propaganda for them and then call it
0: art and you know ben affleck's i guess his way of sort of dealing with it is he's just like oh yeah hollywood's probably full of cia agents yeah like he just he thinks that they're all over the place you know Are there many actors in hollywood who also moonlight as agents do you think (laughs) i think there are probably quite a few yes i think probably hollywood is full of cia agents and we just don't know it um and i wouldn't be surprised at all to discover that you know this was extremely common
1: are you, Sienna?
0: I am, yes. And now you've blown my cover, so there goes my career. Uh, I just hope the directing thing better work out. Bama, do you have your envelope?
1: Not yet, Jack, but I'm about to. I'm good, And now for the moment we have all been waiting for. And the Oscar goes to. Argo. Congratulations.
0: Ben Affleck. Thank you very much. Thank you very, very much. I want to thank Canada. I want to thank our, our, our friends in, uh, in Iran living in in, in, in terrible circumstances right now. I want to thank my wife. Argo, this movie that Chris Terrio and Affleck did together, best picture, best adapted screenplay, best editing, got nominated for four other things. I think best score and I think Alan Arkin, best supporting actor. Um, and yeah, it was basically just an ad for the CIA. It was kind of like, the CIA is pretty cool. You know, they didn't hurt anyone. They did this cool shit. It's one of the coolest, I mean, it really is one of like the coolest sort of clever movies portraying the CIA I, I've ever seen. So I my little conspiracy theory there is that somehow this landed Ben Affleck and uh, Chris Terrio into a perfect position to get, you know, bigger gigs out of Hollywood and to have more of a presence there. <laughs> Well, obviously it
1: did. Obviously, that that <laughs> it, that's, that is absolutely true. I, your your theory about the CIA revitalizing uh, Affleck's career is simply correct. I don't know if it's always going to work out that way, but it did for uh, it did for Ben and you know Zero Dark Dark Dirty, another uh, Oscar bait movie. You know that that really, you know, you work with the CIA the right way and you are rewarded for it. These. Stories, um, are, depending on how you tell them, can be extremely beneficial to your career and you're getting, making all these good connections. And the stories themselves are pretty fascinating at times,
0: you know? So, why would you uh, rock the boat on any of this? Yeah, and it's sort of weird that he has, you know, what he moved on to after this, and I mean, Chris Terrio, the, the screenwriter for Argo. What he's most known for is Rise of Skywalker and Batman versus Superman, two widely, you know, criticized, heavily criticized movies, and largely because of the writing. I mean, I think a lot of people, specifically, went after Batman versus Superman because of the writing. But we're gonna get into we're gonna get into Batman versus Superman. So save your thoughts for then for then. Um, But I I mean I think it's just that it's sort of interesting that. He, Chris Terrio is largely behind the DCEU that we know of now, even though he didn't have anything to do with Man of Steel. He had, you know, he wrote the screenplays for Batman versus Superman. I think he rewrote David Goyer's screenplay. And he, I think he mostly wrote Justice League by himself, as far as I know. So, yeah, I mean, it just, though, this whole thing went through so many twists and turns, Leslie, how we even got to the DCEU in the first place i mean obviously we already talked about how sort of chris nolan was used as the selling point originally that Zack snyder was going to helm this dceu and i was it originally even called the dceu or was man of steel sort of overtly put out there as like this is the first sort of you know stepping stone on the way to a, a justice league movie or was that not even mentioned at that time
1: I'm trying to think back because I didn't pay that much attention to it. But like you saying that it was presented as like, okay, this is the Nolan Superman. That is how it was marketed and pitched. I don't think there was any talk of larger Bat- Batman versus Superman because this was, Nolan's trilogy obviously didn't have any crossover elements. So it was more of a like... This is going to be its own thing. Now we did Batman. Now we're doing Superman. And then we didn't get into the larger crossover thing until the Batman versus Superman talk started.
0: Yeah, because um, I, I, I don't remember Justice League even being seriously considered until maybe after Batman versus Superman came out. And I, I remember it being kind of a surprise, actually, like how soon some of that footage of those early Justice League scenes came out of The Flash and Bruce Wayne interacting. I think they were shown at Comic-Con. And Snyder had done that, of course, with Batman versus Superman. It was maybe like, I, I don't even think it had been announced yet at that time. Had it been announced that Batman versus Superman was even coming out when he showed that footage, or was that the announcement? Like, i I'm trying to remember that, too.
1: Yeah, I don't, rem- I don't remember exactly, <laughs> but I do remember like it was a bit of a surprise that they were doing Batman versus Superman. It was definitely a surprise that they re- weren't doing Man of Steel too. Instead, we're doing Batman versus Superman. That was a big twist for most people. Like
0: they didn't, they didn't expect that. Well, you bring up a really good point because I think that that automatically plagued Batman versus Superman it was up against a lot out of the gates because it originally probably was put into pre-production as Man of Steel 2 on some level. And then it was changed to being Batman versus Superman. And then it was even changed again to being sort of a precursor to Justice League with because the original title to Batman versus Superman did not have Dawn of Justice. And not to say that just because they added that to the title means that that's when they decided to make it a precursor to Justice League, but it did, did seem like it went through some contortions to get to the point that it was at. Do you know anything about that? Those transitions? No,
1: no, I, I hadn't heard about that. I was actually looking up because they did announce, yeah, a Man of Steel sequel that Gore was supposed to write and Snyder was supposed to direct, but they just like they went away from that and moved to this Batman versus Superman idea i think it it might have been because they did want to pivot into something like the MCU with all the characters and in, instead of just doing man of steel series wonder woman series then batman series you know
0: yeah so i mean it is sort of odd how this all starts like i th- i don't think they announced the DCEU as like a, a serious thing until maybe after Batman vs. Superman.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, after Batman vs. Superman, I think. They even want to give it a name, yeah.
0: Yeah, and that's when we started to hear about movies that wouldn't be done by Zack Snyder. Um, you know, Aquaman, uh, Suicide Squad, um, trying to think of what else. I think Wonder Woman maybe was even floated out there then as well. And that one, I think maybe even Joss Whedon was slated to do that one or possibly write mm-hmm. that one.
1: I don't remember Joss being attached to Wonder Woman, but he was attached to Batgirl. Yeah, Batgirl supposed Girl. to be a part of this,
0: which he's not anymore apparently. Not, not. <laughs> <laughs> um. So that's what I. I don't quite know the timeline here. Like, when did Jeff Johns, who is mostly known for helming the the TV shows, right? Like, that's what he got mostly involved into with that guy Berlanti.
1: Yeah. So Jeff Johns. Uh, he started off as, like, the assistant to Richard Donner, weaseled his way kind of into comic books. He's a okay writer. Very, He's never written a really great comic, but most of them are just, like, okay enough that if you like the characters, you'll stay subscribed, you know? That's kind of where he is as a creative mind, but with that, you know, DC put everything behind him. DC Comics basically handed him the keys to the keys to the kingdom him and uh Grant Morrison were kind of sharing it and then he moved on to the TV shows where they also gave him the kind of the keys to the kingdom they have like six or seven TV shows now and then he's you know kind of moving into the movies too and you know it's not like he has necessarily like a fantastic track record with any of these things all these things are serviceable because they live on the charisma of the actors and the fact that people like these characters you know he's not like some creative genius that constantly needs to be bumped up up and up uh the totem bowl, but and yet he has been
0: yeah i mean i i couldn't really even tell you who is responsible mostly for the ones that i thought were you know probably done the best i mean i i I thought the Flash season one in particular was really strong. Um, I thought that Doom Patrol, and I don't know if he's in, even involved in that, was was great. I mean, one of the best live action DC things I've ever seen. Um, so I don't know how involved he was in those, or who you know who's responsible for making those enjoyable. Um, but yeah, he does have a, a shitload of misfires. I mean, quite a lot of those DC shows aren't great.
1: Yeah, yeah, Stargirl, which is probably the most personal for Jeff Jones because he based it off his uh, own daughter, who I believe passed away, it was a character he created, Stargirl. He actually had limited involvement in that. A lot of people kind of meanly saying that yeah, the, the reason why that show is good is because he wasn't actually that involved in it.
0: Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah, and that's one that I think most people don't even know exists right now, and that it,
1: yeah, it's too bad cuz actually I think it was actually really fantastic. I actually okay. like if you if you're, anybody's looking for like a fairly decent TV show to watch, I would definitely recommend Stargirl. Second season's probably not going to be as good because now they're going to be on network TV and I don't think it's going to be as dark and violent uh as it as it is in the in the show. But it's a pretty decent like little superhero show.
0: Yeah, I need to check it out. I didn't I that's one I tried to watch. Um, I don't remember if it was Titans, um, which was really just tonally a disaster. Uh, Titans is wild. I ended up enjoying it, but <laughs> if you're looking
1: for a good good show, it's not for you. But there, but people, but the creative direction with that got screwed up too. They made them redo the last, see um, the last, you know, the season finale. Because for some reason, they didn't want them all to appear in their costumes united at the end of the show, which is what the whole season's building up to. So they completely did, redid the la- the season finale in this bizarre manner. They cut it in half and then put made the season finale the first part of the second season. It's just very, very strange. The decisions at WB or Warner Brothers, CW, from the top down, they're always so strange and weird and they're just so... They seem so precious about certain things, like even getting to the Snyder Cut thing. The fact that they didn't want him to include a scene with Trevante Rhodes as Green Lantern, which would have bought them so much goodwill, wouldn't have cost them any real money. And they were just like, no, we don't want to see it. It's just bizarre.
0: I mean, there's so many questions. And, you know, I guess the most conspiratorial question, I'll just get it out of the way first, is was there intentional sabotage? you know, was Joss Whedon some kind of double agent? Did he, go, <laughs> did, he, did he link back up with Marvel and agree to just ruin this thing? Um, I mean, I don't know. There's so many possibilities here. Was there willful destruction of the DCEU from inside by someone for some reason? Um, you know, but in general, I think WB has made a lot of bizarre decisions outside of this, but it just does make you wonder why would they screw this up so bad? What was so wrong with, with Zack Snyder's version of this that they had to do what they did it really it defies comprehension like I'm still processing what happened yeah, yeah I mean, so let's,
1: let me say uh, in clear terms what happened because if you've heard about if you think you've heard the story you probably heard the wrong version because we're still getting details about what happened well there's so multiple most, versions yeah so the story we heard originally was that um, Joss Whedon that you know principal photography finishes on justice league at the end of 2016 okay 2016 uh, almost a full year before it's actually due to hit theaters which is pretty good pretty good everyone all the actors go home henry cavill grows a mustache and goes on mission impossible ben affleck starts eating cheeseburgers again everybody you know goes and they think it's pretty much done you just have to do the visual effects uh, edit it down whatever whatever but at this time, you know, Joss is really battling with the studio. The studio wants a two-hour cut, and he's like, you know, that's not enough time to do a Justice League movie. And he's delivered, and, you know, they're still haggling on that. And what the story we hear publicly is that, oh, they're bringing on Whedon to help out um, Zach in, in while finishing this movie. I, I don't remember exactly when... Um, uh, Zach Stars passed away in this timeline. but I do remember when when it was when he left the film entirely, this was after his daughter passed away people were like celebrating like 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 uh these journalists were like cracking jokes like celebrating the fact that he was off the movie and snyder had been brought in to allegedly fix this mess of a movie he made and pe- most people you know kind of believed this narrative that the movie was a me- unfinished mess and J- joss joss whedon was brought in to fix it turns out that wasn't that was Nothing could be further from the truth. And so what's interesting is not the Snyder cut, but the Whedon cut really is the interesting story here because – It was the studio's decision after Zack Snyder brings them this basically finished movie. They're still finagling about certain things, certain elements, certain edits, which you always do with these big movies, right? But for some reason, WB got so scared that they brought in Joss Whedon to not only re-edit the movie, but to shoot new stuff. They said the movie was too long, so they brought in a guy to shoot more footage, <laughs> bring back the actors, the actors who are now not in fighting shape, all of them. Henry Cavill, who has a mustache that he cannot shave off, and they have to CGI it out. They have to spend millions CGI out. CGIing out the mustache for this new footage that looks absolutely awful and looks nothing like the rest of the movie because that because Joss Whedon has no idea what to do behind the camera and Zack Snyder does it it just it's a completely baffling decision when all they should have could have done is just like f- taking the Snyder movie and cut it how they want right cut it down to the time you think will work and then put that out instead they put out they try they basically let Joss Whedon remake half the movie throughout two or three hours of Joss Whedon footage put and put out Together, this Frankenstein, which actually unfinished uh, special effects in some of the scenes, uh, in th- when it came out in theaters, like it was not actually a finished movie because they ha- had let joss change so much stuff. They were working until the last minute to get it ready. Completely bizarre decision because any any reasonable person would have said, you know, you got the movie finished. You have. Three and a half hours of good material that you asked for. How do you you just cut it down? You just edit it. You don't let hire someone else with an entirely different aesthetic to reshoot the entire thing in a way that doesn't look completely terrible. Uh, And then you have to do all the... You have to do different effects. You have to redesign this character. You have to redesign that character. And then that's not even getting into the fact that Whedon was abusive uh, to the staff. And then they have to do a whole investigation about that abuse. They brought so much trouble on their own head because they didn't trust Zack Snyder with with 25 extra minutes of the runtime. It's just one of the most bizarre decisions, especially when you consider that, of course... The version that they released ended up flopping and poisoning the brand. Like you can't do a Justice League 2 now because everyone hated the first Justice League that you put out. Why would you why would you toss the Snyder version in the trash no matter how you thought of its length to bring in Joss Whedon who had just been fired from Avengers? He had just been fired from Avengers. Why would you hire him to do your superhero series? Nobody liked Age of Ultron. He got he got no. he got fired from it. I don't and know. He what claims
0: sa- that they even meddled with that, which who knows how much of that was his. I mean, it was probably would have been bad initially. But you make such a good point. This is the studio that owns. I mean, they own everything having to do with the DC universe. This is not like Disney, who still doesn't own everything. Like Disney still doesn't own the entire Marvel universe. The Hulk is still like co-owned by some other fucking company. There's still other Marvel characters that aren't like the Spider-Man villains and stuff. Like they can't just throw those in any movie they want. I mean, there's a whole host of characters, Leslie, and I don't know if you, you know, we don't need to go through all of them. But the crazy part is, Warner Brothers has, as far as I know, access to every single character in the DC universe, the entire universe, and they basically just like poison pilled their bet their biggest franchise with this movie. Who like that? That the fact that they would do that after seeing the Snyder Cut and knowing how good it was, um, it really does make me wonder if this was somehow sabotage. I mean, I have no actual evidence There's, to yeah. suggest this. There's no, I have no, there, consp- you know, proof. But it's like, what the who the fuck did this? Yeah, th- you know, whose fault really
1: is this? There's no rational explanation for it because you have to consider these are the people who hired Zack Snyder to do these movies in the first place, right? If they wanted to get rid of yes. him, they They had plenty of opportunities to do it if they, wanted, if they wanted to go in a different direction. If they wanted someone else to do a Justice League movie that had nothing to do with Zack Snyder, they could have done that, and that wouldn't have been surprising to anyone given that the MCU was a new thing and the DC movies don't all have to connect. Like, that wasn't the feeling at the time. Like, it... I, they could have done so many different things if they didn't like Zack Snyder besides giving, letting him finish the movie, film like a three and a half hour Justice League, and then complain like after the fact so much. About, you know, these little edits, these little things that they could have lived with. They certainly could have lived with a lot of the stuff they complained about. Because a lot of people like some of the stuff that they want to cut out. Like the uh, storyline about uh, Cyborg, Ray Fisher, being the heart of the movie. Completely cut out of the Weedon version because the executives at WB didn't think an angry black man being the emotional core of the movie uh, was a good thing to have they thought that was going to be a problem makes no sense everybody loved it like when it came out that's the number one, that's the number one takeaway from the Snyder Cut is just that when you watch it you look at it and you're wondering like what were they afraid of happening if they put this out like I understand you have to cut it down maybe it would make a little bit less sense the two and a half yeah. hour version the two hours and 45 minutes version but goddamn, put it out anyway it's still going to be better than you trying to bring in Joss Whedon to rewrite the script copy and paste different plot points together like at shoot these new awful scenes that make no sense like i I haven't had a chance to say this but the fact that joss changed the way that the parademons work is just completely bizarre in the snyder cut version the parademons contract people who have been around the mother box which are the Ma- MacGuffin for the film okay silly name don't blame Snyder that's uh that was the original creator's uh name but <laughs> that was Jack Kirby okay yeah, yeah. The, the mother box the Snyder in the Joss Whedon version I guess to save some sort of time I haven't plotted out I haven't tracked the plots yet that might be interesting to see how much time he actually saved with this but he said that the demons just smell fear and so Batman has to make someone really afraid in order to bring a Parademon to him, so he can track him back to his base. Instead of the Parademon tracking the mother boxes, I, it just completely nonsensical change that like did not does absolutely on first blush does not work. Like I don't see how anybody could have sat down and looked at Justice League and then said, "All right, we need to put that in theaters." If it were me i would say you know what we're gonna do we're gonna delay this and call zach back (laughs) like 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 you can't even explain like can anyone even explain the rational decision to on the because there was talk about delaying this movie there was talk about delaying justice League because it was unfinished but some of the executive the rumor is that some of the executives would miss their bonuses possibly miss a bonus If they delayed Justice League because the movie would come out after the AT&T merger. And so they might miss that and they might not be with the company anymore. So they might miss their bonus. So it really was. So your sabotage idea is not so far off base. It's it's less of a sabotage and it's more of a uh, you'll be gone, I'll be gone. Uh, that the in M- that the uh, Wall Street guys tell each other, where they'll do something fucked up and possibly illegal, but it doesn't matter because by the time any- it catches up to anyone, and anyone otis- notices, they'll everyone involved will be gone. So I think that's what they kind of pulled with Justice <laughs> League. I'm just realizing that right now, Robbie, you always bring out those theories. Like, yeah, it is kind of a <laughs> sabotage because th- these calls were made by a number of executives pre this big merger that's going coming down the pipe and they did re or orient uh uh you know this wb after this merger unfortunately they promoted the people who screwed this up for some reason i don't know how why they promoted the people who ruined justice league uh once at&t bought them but the scuttlebutt is that at&t did step in and tell told them to play nice with snyder and get the Snyder cut. Out in order to get HBO Max, uh, a bigger user base. Yeah,
0: man, it's, it's so fascinating to think about all the internal decisions that were made here. I mean, one interesting example of how much of a roller coaster this must have been internally is I think Ben Affleck was giving some pretty clear hints before Zack Snyder was even... I don't even know what word you would use. Like, was he fired? Was he let go? Uh, was he told to say that he agreed to leave, but he was actually sort of strong-armed into leaving? Like we, what? I think we you know?
1: actually really don't know, and it might not actually even be clear,
0: you know, which is which, to be honest,
1: you know, with this yeah. situation. I'll I'll, even, I'll give the scumbags at w, WB even that. I'll give them that maybe it, this is something, you know, very complicated, but it does look kind of ugly that, you know, he ended up off of this movie, and it— was it was painted as being like a very friendly thing, but we know it wasn't that. We know that like Weeden came in like the day of and was like talking shit, like to like the cr- staff and crew about the cut that was already there, which is just a really weird thing to do. But yeah, it does feel like Zach was kind of pushed off. We don't have one hundred percent confirmation on that, but you know, m- new stuff is coming out every day.
0: Yeah, and there's definitely going to be more and more stuff as time goes on. I mean, there there was a really big blast of negative press about Josh Whedon that came out leading up to the release of this movie. Um, you know, my conspiratorial mind is thinking, well, was some of this coordinated? I mean, I, it doesn't look like it. I mean, it's Instagram postings from people who are on the set of Buffy saying he was abusive. Ray Fisher's, you know, story completely believable. Um, but the timing is sort of curious that this would sort of all you know, almost like paving the way for uh, us to basically be like, well, maybe Zack Snyder is a, is a good guy. Like he's in comparison to Josh <laughs> Whedon, you know. Even if even if you think his his visual style or his movies suck, at least he's not a abusive asshole, you know. Well, so like, Zack Snyder has this had good reputation, and that started to. As an inverse to those Joss Whedon stories, started to come out leading up to <laughs> the release of the Snyder Cut, and I'm not saying that's a conspiracy theory, but it was convenient, I think. Um, well, here's you know for Zach, here's the thing: it's convenient for Zach, but like
1: WB didn't lean into it because they're put, p- people putting people out there to like run cover for uh, sure. Jeff Johns and Walter <laughs> Hamada while Ray Fisher is still calling them out and saying. Like, hey, this is, you're awful, and this is, like, you're 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 complicit in everything he did. And he actually is saying quite clearly, like, you are trying to make Joss the scapegoat, and it wasn't just him. Like, he was the direct guy, but these other people knew, and Walter Mata, you interfered with the investigation. So it's, he's very, been very clear about, like, it, it goes to the top. And so I actually think it's quite embarrassing for the people at NWB. This this whole Snyder Cut thing. And that's why they have they have PR people giving interv- like counter interviews to the stars of their movie while it's out there. That's such a strange thing to be happening for a company to have a, like a PR person basically smearing the star of the movie that you're promoting.
0: And simultaneously, I don't know if you saw, caught this, Leslie, but I found this really interesting. There's a behind-the-scenes making of featurette of the Snyder cut of Justice League, and it incorporates a lot of the same B-roll behind-the-scenes footage that Warner Brothers, you know, was putting out leading up to the Justice League, but it sort of, it doesn't even mention <laughs> that the Joss Whedon version <laughs> came out. It's like almost as if it's like, if you were in an alternate reality and saw this, it would just have been like this was the only version like it has like a Mandela effect vibe to it oh. cuz it's just weird i want you to i don't know if you caught that but you should check it out it's it's interesting the way they play that oh i would like to see it
1: that's so that's very interesting because because that's the thing like you really could Uh, you can easily imagine a world where they did the sensible thing and just like told uh, Snyder to finish the movie right because the movie was done this behind the scenes are filmed they wrapped like the story was basically told it was just supposed to be geeks on computers after that and then they Throw this huge curveball, and now four years later, we get back to the moment where the actual original version of the movie gets to come out. Now, extended version of that movie, but this is the original movie, the original film. And I think that's a, a thing that people like just don't, don't understand. We should, it shouldn't be, uh, Justice League and the Snyder cut it should be Justice League and the Whedon cut because the Whedon cut is a real like looking back at the changes he made in the comparisons to it is some of the most fascinating stuff it's like delving into the mind of a serial killer like for real like the the changes that he makes specifically to like wonder woman who whedon is known even though he's like a sexist scumbag in real life and abusive sexual predator in real life his outward thing and his creative thing was that he is about strong women feminist stories etc etc but he. Specifically depowers Wonder Woman. Specifically sexualizes her in an insulting, like juvenile way. Specifically makes make specific changes to make her look weaker than Zack Snyder did, and it, and yeah. it just makes no sense. Like, why would you ever change it? Well, we we're not clear if he changed it or if that was he created that version and Jaws just didn't finish the effects on that scene. We don't really know, but we don't we know where their minds went. At least we know that Snyder's mind went where Wonder Woman is very strong and Whedon's went where she's just like barely kind of there. And it's just such just it wouldn't it's not even the changes you expect Whedon to make. And so it also that does bolster your kind of sabotage theory <laughs> because even the even Weedon at his worst is better than justice. The what his changes to Justice League, even Whedon at his worst is better than the changes he's made to Justice League, and it's just such a bizarre thing all around.
0: Oh, that's such a great point because I don't know if you got a chance to see that red letter media uh, review. It's pretty long of uh, the Snyder cut, but they in it they actually do a really thorough breakdown of of compiling all the differences and some of the one liner jokes that joss whedon put in and i should say so people understand how this works in some very rare instances in the joss whedon cut there are he does insert one-liners in the middle of whole scenes that that snyder shot that he left in for example the superman you know the bad superman scene where he's fighting all of them joss whedon only seems to drop in one line of superman saying do you bleed to batman and he just cuts out more stuff that Snyder put in there. He does a little ADR with Flash saying a bunch of weird shit during all of it for some reason. But in general, it's mostly Snyder's footage. But in almost every other instance in the movie, he actually resought the entire scene. Like it wasn't just him dropping in a joke, because you can't really do that when you have all this, you know, all this footage. You can't just drop in one joke and you know, unless it's like the joke about uh, Flash making the joke about brunch, he's just on a black backdrop, you know, they could have just, they could have, they could fool your eye into thinking that's from the same day of shooting or, or whatever. Some of these other shots, you can't do that. So I don't know if that was the thinking in why they reshot so goddamn much of it. Um, but I mean, even that just doesn't make sense, because why would you need to add Marvel style humor to it? And then think that Josh Whedon was going to write all that that kind of those marvel style jokes that you wanted. I mean, if you really think about it, some of the jokes, the one-liners that he put in the Marvel movies are w- sort of weirder and don't necessarily land as well. They're not yeah. as clean. He, they're more jarring. Some of them are funny. He takes bigger swings maybe sometimes, but they're they're weird. Yeah, he's not the I mean, best at that style anymore. <laughs> bring in James Gunn. If you're going to do yeah, that, like or bring like in the J- fucking who are the brothers that did the um the Avengers no, The Russo movies, brothers or are,
1: are, <laughs> yeah. are Tyco Watiti? You know,
0: if you're going to yeah, yeah,
1: bring in one of them. If you if that's absolutely if you want that, like why bring in the guy that Disney said they didn't want didn't want to do business with uh, anymore? Just yeah, the Weedon the Whedon version is just is really just one of the most fascinating artifacts that we have of like studio decision making because they really just is just. It was completely unnecessary. Didn't need to do it. Didn't do any good for anyone. Ruined a couple of careers, if not lives. I, it's just like absolutely fascinating thing. I could I could talk about it almost endlessly. But it really is like I love the Snyder cut, but the didn't cut. The existence of it, as just as a on a human level, the hubris involved. It just fascinates me almost more. Like I will watch a movie about the weed and cut
0: oh absolutely yeah i mean i i think we should I, I i feel like we should move on to the Snyder cut though because as fascinating as it is and as crazy as the story is like we we didn't really have a chance to pour our out our love for what what Zack Snyder managed to pull off i mean because i really think it should be celebrated i mean i know it is A superhero movie i know it's this big corporate product i know that it it i don't know if it actually costs more money than any movie ever made when you really add it all together i mean they spent 75 million alone on the special effects and you know me i'm when it comes to movies like i want to see 500 million dollar like cgi you know i want like that's what i want to see so and what's cool about this is Whoever worked on all the visual effects before for the theatrical cut, and you said some of them were unfinished, this has like a polish to it that I have not really even seen in a movie like this before. Yeah, it's... Like there there really isn't even any scene in it where I think, oh, that's dodgy CGI. Almost every single CGI shot, is like that is like crystal clear. It's sort of hyper real and exaggerated, but it's photorealistic. Like most of the shit in it, it's just like, Damn! Yeah. like that's clean work. Yeah, I think this is
1: easily like the best CGI I've, I've seen. I don't think I've ever seen a CGI movie better. Even the, like the para demons look so much better than the actor. Oh, yeah. and they, they look real. It's like it, it really lo- It really looks damn good. Steppenwolf looks good. There's just like there's there's not always that sheen. They, the metal actually has like a matte uh, to it. I really think visually uh the the cgi on this is the is what you ex your're sup what your promise what you're supposed to expect exactly now what does that mean then now well what that means that uh you can't turn out one of these movies you can't turn out three of these movies every year you might need to do one and do it right uh if it's gonna you know actually look good enough because they are working on the effects on all these movies until the last second and like so, like stuff falls by the wayside there's scenes in something like say the last jedi where they screw up the choreography and there just probably wasn't time to fix it
0: yeah and even i mean some of the most beloved movies of all time you know like jurassic park absolutely groundbreaking movie with cgi there's an infamous uh, single frame in that movie where the raptor disappears out of the T-Rex's mouth and they just didn't have time to redo yeah. it. And they knew nobody would notice and nobody did notice. Like it took like a YouTube slew <laughs> to like finally point that out. So like it is sort of fascinating to think about what you said that it it does does seem like this really does come down to time. Yeah, maybe a lot I'm sure a lot of it does come down to budget because you got to pay people for their time most of these movies are not given enough time i mean you mentioned something in the i don't know if it was in the the struggle session episode i was on but you did mention this somewhere that they that josh whedon jumped in for reshoots like three months before the actual release date is that true i
1: I don't know if i if i said that jack might have said it because i'm not really sure but it was a fairly uh swift uh timetable because like they like the movie was supposed to be finished, you know, uh, and so they bring in Joss. Let me see if I can pull up kind of a the production notes because it was, and a lot of the stuff we don't even know because we're still trying to, you know, figure it
0: out. And it's it's just sort of strange, yeah. While you're looking at oh yeah, that up, yeah, I actually have I mean, it. So it, it was like okay, in yeah.
1: July it was announced that he, they were going to do two months of reshoots for twenty five. Million dollars, which brought the budget up to 300 million dollars. That so that, and that was May, June, so that was two months after they brought in uh, after Snyder stepped down. So they spent a lot of time uh, kind of dicking around before they even got to it. And Whedon's rewrites, Jesus Christ, were 80 pages, 80 pages that uh. Eighty pages—that's the majority of, of the film. Now I think, Jesus you know, Christ. a lot of that was a bunch of crappy dialogue, and most of the movie actually is just uh, Snyder's action scenes, as they are. Uh, he did—he S- Weeden did use a lot of Snyder's action scenes, a hell of a lot of them. But yeah, it's.
0: Not enough of yeah, them. Yeah, not enough the, of them. The and, I mean, the Wonder Woman thing in particular was bizarre that he cut that down because it just made the scene weaker. Like, why would you take those action beats out of that one? Yeah, I, I mean, or she's moving around like a Kryptonian, kind of almost like Man of Steel, just doing all this crazy shit.
1: Yeah, and they changed it up. They and he took the blood out of it too, as well. Like in the uh, in the in the. In the we, in the Whedon version, Wonder Woman doesn't kill those guys, and the Snyder cut is very clear that he she like spires those guys. Now that may be yeah. something that we're only getting because this is a R rated bonus movie. Sure, um, you know you you know to be fair to Whedon, I guess, but still, I, I I think the tone of Snyder's movie. Is a lot more consistent and better and lighter than Batman versus Superman, which is what they wanted. It has those exactly. extra jokes. Like, I don't know what more they want. It's so funny because a lot of people have actually said to me that they didn't even like the jokes in the Snyder Cut version. They thought it was too much. They thought it was too weak, weak, non-nut. I was like, damn, they're even more hardcore about it than I am. Like, I thought it was pretty okay. So it's just, like, weird. Like, where did... The studios get the idea that what everyone wants is jokes all the time. Like, no, people want to believe. People want to think this shit is real and that this shit matters for a little bit.
0: One thing to me that really stood out, and I mentioned this uh, last time we talked about this, but the color grading alone makes such an extreme difference because obviously Zack Snyder is such a visual storyteller he used to shoot music videos it's obvious from watching 300 that he does he knows how to work with like very specific color grades it's sort of baked into his filmmaking process so the fact that the previous two movies in this trilogy because that's what it is were had a very specific look they they were sort of desaturated they sort of looked sort of more classic or kind of like gray they're overcast a lot of the, sky, the shots of the sky it wasn't that much sun or orange in the in in these movies and this one you know was you watch the snyder cut of it and you're like oh this is what it's supposed to look like to have that cohesion for these previous two movies oh and that's why you know wonder woman's face doesn't stick out so weird where her cheeks are all look you could see the blush on her cheeks <laughs> and the, the the sort of the the makeup for the set uh, you know the lighting that she was on for that particular day in the Josh Whedon version it's just really sticks out and looks weird and so does even superman's costume it's not the right blue and red hue so when you see Z- Snyder's version it just everything looks right it just doesn't like look off and i think that that was really um kind of a tragedy to think that they would put all this footage in the movie not just have someone rewrite it and reshoot so much of it but then also actually not use the color grading that was des- designed for all those costumes and the and the particular look it was supposed to have so it just looks wrong it's something that just looks off about it
1: yeah it it doesn't it's not even just that it looks wrong it looks lazy it, the yeah. way that the justice league theatrical version looks is like they just turned up the saturation at the very last step in like photoshop in like some consumer product it does not look like it's professionally color graded right. it looks like the set, like if you changed your tv settings until the colors started to bleed together it's a very like it's not just the the change it's as poorly done like it's a poorly done colorization of it which makes no sense it, like it Snyder has a reason for it. He has a visual style, a visual flair. He, has, he is intentional about how these things look. And if you don't believe me, just as a flex, he put out a black and white version of Justice League today, and it looks fantastic. It looks better in black and white than David Fincher's make. It looks ten times better than Mank, a movie primarily made to be in black and white. But when you look at Mank by David Fincher and you look at a shot from Zack Snyder's silly-ass superhero movie in black and white, you can tell who actually, which music video director actually is sticking to their roots and remembering the visuals because Mank, even though it's in black and white and supposed to be a tribute to one of the greatest films of all time... The black and white looks like trash. It looks washed out. It looks silvery. There's no black. There's no white. It's just all silver, various shades of silver. While Zack Snyder has that contrast that he has in the color version. And he knew that it would work in black and white because he takes, he
0: cares about these things. He knows what he's doing. When I first saw Batman versus Superman, I thought certain scenes in it were really great, but I thought that the movie was bad. I did not, I did not care for it. I had a lot of problems with it. Some of my critiques paralleled other people's. I didn't like, you know, that that sort of the edgy Frank Miller take on Batman. But I have to admit, um, and it's not just because you and Jack uh, hyped it up so much after the fact. It's it's just I what would catch it on TV. Sometimes I would just throw it on the background. Sometimes because I like the music in it. I remember like digging like the aesthetics of it, and it's really grown on me. I think it's like possibly the best Batman movie. I know, I mean, people might be just being like, what? But, I mean, besides Mask of the Phantasm, for talking about movies that have come out in the theater, I'm thinking it might be the best one. I mean, even though I really like what Nolan did in certain aspects, there are just certain things I can't get over. The Batman voice, the fact that they make him, you know, Lucius Fox makes all his stuff. There's just a lot of, like, weird things in that movie that I never could fully get on board with.
1: Funny you mentioned the voice, because... You know, there's two controversial voices in the Nolan movies, and that was Batman's <laughs> growly voice. And then that was Bane's voice. Right. And yeah. so what does Zack Snyder do? He combines those two voices and <laughs> makes that his Batman voice. And it works. He has a digitized growly voice and it's perfect. And I'll be and it's just the best, best way to do a Batman voice It's so obvious. Of course, he would digitize his voice. Um, but yeah, uh, missed opportunity there by uh, Nolan.
0: I mean, yeah, I think that that's a really good and interesting compromise to have it be affected because I think you do need a voice actor like Kevin Conroy to be able to effectively do both voices. And I will just say I never loved Kevin Conroy's Bruce Wayne voice. I always felt like it was almost like too high-pitched or like too... It's not... Like, I think Ben Affleck's Bruce Wayne... The little stuff he does in Batman versus Superman, I mean, it just seems to me almost like straight out of the cartoon, the animated series where he's sort of doing these little, um, you know, he's sort of sneaking around Lex Luthor's house. He puts the bug yeah, on the thing. He's doing Matches Malone stuff at times almost. That shit was great. I mean, and that's what I also wanted to touch on too. It's like, were these people, Warner Brothers, had they not seen these animated movies <laughs> from D- dc comics have they not seen the dc animated universe shows like justice league unlimited like batman because christopher nolan obviously made the right decision and that was part of the success of batman begins Is he used the two most interesting villains from the animated series arguably as is sort of his core, yeah. st- you know, Raz al Ghul, no one had heard of that dude who was not a DC Batman fanboy before that. Until
1: the cartoon made him exactly. seem like the co- pretty much the coolest villain. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, so Snyder does that here again, you know, kind of riffing on Nolan. And I also wanted to bring up, did you notice, uh, Leslie, in Justice League, there seems to be a lot of visual nods to Nolan's Batman trilogy, specifically callbacks to it. So the glacier intro scene, where where Ben Affleck is, you know, going to find Aquaman, it's kind of like Batman Begins, where where Batman is going up the mountain to yeah. meet Ra's Al The Gotham uh, football uniforms, the the yellow themes, kind of look very similar to Nolan's Gotham football game in um, yeah, Dark Knight Rises. I thought that was very cool because I think that was really intentional. Yeah, it's sort of like could, a callback, but not. You know, it's in a different universe, but it's a really cool touch. Um, yeah. that sort of reminds you of the way you felt watching those movies.
1: Yeah, and Snyder and Nolan are really good friends apparently. Uh, Snyder uh, is uh, there was a funny story about how Nolan has not won't allow Zack Snyder to watch the weed and cut of Justice League because it would be too painful uh, for him. But I was I I was I was doing the interview earlier and I realized kind of like Nolan and Snyder are very similar directors. But because Nolan's movies are just slower and kind of more boring, people take him much more seriously. But they're kind of making movies about like the same things and kind of the same in similar ways. But I just think that on on the apples to apples scale where you're comparing stuff like Batman fight scenes from Snyder to Nolan clearly uh, Snyder blows Nolan away um oh where, on on those sorts of levels even though Nolan you know you can give him some credit for I I'm very down on Nolan right now after Tenant I may be a little bit too down on him I guess you can give him It's just that, you know, looking after seeing, watching Justice League, it made me realize, like, wow, the dark, the Christian Bale actually wasn't that good a Batman. (laughs) On the whole, it's like, no, like, Ben Affleck is, like, as good, is how good Batman should be. That's, like, a good Batman. After we've got, after getting seven hours with him, I'm like, okay, I know what a good live-action Batman is. And that wasn't, and I'm sorry, as much as I love Christian Bill, as much as I enjoyed the uh, the Dark Knight, like not a good Batman, and I if if we they're both directing Batman movies, I don't know. I think Snyder like outdid Nolan on this.
0: I absolutely agree with you. I mean, I've you know, I I I was kind of hoping Batman would would have a little bit more of a prominent role. I mean, I I don't know how how I still feel about him sort of not seeming like as in charge as he did you know is in the, in the justice league yeah. just from the comic book it works with the story though it cuz it's like cyborg you know has this really important role but
1: yeah they they changed it up a lot this justice league in the movie doesn't have a leader they're all they all have their own voices there even is a scene where the flash is like well f- good we finally have a plan and it's not a joke it's like the no. flash gets to you know gets to have a voice in things these things too they all like he he's he's very specific about it and i really like that he makes the whole all the whole team works together everyone has their own inputs their different differing opinions their different takes on things like i i i really kind of i like that i think he did like a really good job of showing what these you know superhero movies can be Based on the, as you said, you know, what you see in the cartoons, the Just League United cartoons, because we see these kind of interaction and in, in these character moments and this teamwork from the cartoons, even though he does change the dynamic where they're all more like equals than sure. Batman being the leader or Superman being the leader.
0: Yeah. And I think one of the most interesting things about seeing this versus the Whedon cut um, is the, how you can completely have a movie have a completely different feeling tone where all the elements are almost the same you know save the all the extra b plots cut out of the movie but the fact that the tone of the movie feels so different and that zack snyder was going for a lighter tone than batman versus superman but he didn't bake in all these stupid one-liner jokes into it because the last time that I can remember DC Comics trying to do a really serious reboot of the Justice League was the New 52 iteration of the Justice League. It was where Superman and Wonder Woman get together. It's where Green Lantern is a really wisecracking asshole. It's where Batman takes off his cowl in the very first issue and tells everybody he's Bruce Wayne. There's just weird choices and apparently this this is like a beloved reboot of Justice League that got really good reviews. Some of the cartoons actually are based off of, when I say cartoons, I mean the animated movies are based off this reboot. And it's sort of one of the more well-known, let's say, Justice League origin stories, how they came together. You know, there's other comic book depictions of it from way in the past, the original Justice League comics. But I feel like what Zack Snyder did here is he actually made a like probably one of the most interesting Justice League origin stories in comic or film or anywhere. Yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah, which is kind of impressive in and of itself.
1: Yeah, but to be fair to, uh, I think it may, it might have been Jeff Johns who wrote that Justice League New Fifty Two. I, for, I forget. It d- 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 <laughs> Snyder does borrow from that. Oh, he does. Because that was when they they brought in Cyborg and they tied Cyborg's powers directly 100%. to their motherpox and the apocalypse invasion so he does borrow from that but i think you know this is probably better executed than that even though i thought that the comic is pretty good the cartoon's very good of yeah i think it's yes. called justice league war and that's very good but this one's a damn good one too and it's like very very impressive and i think you know it. Just, it he just really captures that right balance between these crazy god-like superheroes, and just real people. And there's something about that that gets to me even more than a really well-made DCU cartoon, or perhaps even a really great, well, maybe not the best comic books, but, some, but you know, a really good average DC comic. I, I, I'd much rather watch Zack Snyder's Justice League then read the comic book series that was decent but that was based on you know I think there's just something you know all other things being equal I think the grandeur of what Zack Snyder did in this really visually kind of stunning and interesting movie with the music and the acting and this excellent cast that he's put together I think there's just something really special about it if you're you're into superheroes
0: couldn't agree with you more and I mean this i would argue this is probably the best live action representation of the dc universe that i've ever seen and it's something that marvel was just simply not capable of even really doing because their universe inherently is just not as interesting no in the it's not and that's one of their fatal flaws but in the in the movies They don't have the rights to all this really iconic (laughs) shit. They don't have the the rights to Spider-Man's rogues gallery. They don't have the rights to the X-Men. X-Men, yeah. You're missing... That's like you. You need to have like mutants as part of your universe. Otherwise, it's just like w- this universe just feels like the regular world.
1: Yeah, as know? Jack Jack likes to point out, my co-host Jack Allison on Struggle Session, he says they the reason they have the rights to the Avengers is because those are the crappy characters that no one else wants to exactly. pay for. And like the X Men are really the thing. The X Men are the thing that people love about Marvel, and God, I dread whatever they're gonna end up doing with them, but. You're right. They're the most interesting world. And I actually think a number of those movies, even the recent ones, have a lot more interesting stuff going on in them than any of the Marvel movies, just because those characters are more interesting. Their plights are more interesting. Their powers are more interesting. Just everything is just a bit more interesting.
0: So, yeah, I mean, I have to give him credit for really bringing to life in a way that I will... Fully acknowledge, I did not have faith that Zack Snyder could adapt a live action DC universe in the way that he did. I I didn't. I I I thought you know aesthetically, Batman vs Superman, um, Man of Steel, they feel like they're and I think I already said this on Twitter. One of them feels like the Man of Steel feels like a Grant Morrison take on Superman. Batman vs Superman feels kind of like a Frank Miller take on Batman, but. It has, you know, it was sort of is reaching higher. It was starting to really get closer to that DC, the full DC universe. But I just don't think people realize that Zack Snyder has an unrestrained, open season with the entire pool of characters, every iconic city. This the scene in, in um, Justice League Snyder cut where they just pan in onto the central city sign. I was just like, holy shit! <laughs> like he's building the universe in a way that like. I don't give a shit with all these um, like extra after credit scenes in the Marvel movies that do it. And what did Christopher Nolan actually say? He like he made a rule. Uh, I think he actually had some like say over the way these movies would go at first. And he he actually executively shut down Zack Snyder who wanted to put an after credit scene in Man of Steel. Um, and that was probably a good decision to not do any of that in any of these movies because it's it is dumb. I think, and it's it does feel like it's not really. I think Christopher Nolan said it it doesn't, you wouldn't do that in a real movie. It does feel like, (laughs) you know, like some kind of corporate advertising scheme. You know, that's one of the things that I I think people, if they like the Snyder cut, they should go back and watch things that I think are, um, you know, that Zack Snyder was sort of referencing or sort of inspired by when he made this. I would say Flashpoint Paradox, the animated movie definitely uh, had an inspiration in some form in this the justice league unlimited cartoon uh for sure i mean i think that was probably the biggest one he took elements maybe a little bit from doom patrol sort of really leaning into the maybe the dark darker origin story uh, of cyborg which they do in the the doom patrol series um and uh and but he also as you said took some cues from new 52 like making cyborg technology linked to the mother box um and having that connection back to apocalypse but one other thing i think that Zack snyder did here that no one really expected is he he brought jack kirby characters to life that like are probably like jack kirby's coolest fucking characters oh I yeah mean, dark side it's like who cares about Thanos? i mean yeah thanos <laughs> is cool whatever dark side is just like a hundred times cooler yeah he's <laughs> he's the he's
1: the original thanos is just a ripoff of dark side like how can you not how can you not uh love to see a good Dark Side movie, and this is why I wanted to mention because there were two different versions of what they were supposed to do with this movie. Originally, Darkseid was supposed to be the main villain of Justice League, because Steppenwolf was supposed to be the main villain of Suicide Squad. But there was oh some, wow, but the, again there was some meddling from DC. So, like, even, like, the the critiques about Suicide Squad, like, most people didn't even know that, I bet, that Steppenwolf was supposed to be the main villain instead of this Incubus guy, which everybody complained about, obviously, because they didn't know, because this guy came out of nowhere with no real purpose, when it could have been, oh, this is guy Steppenwolf who's... Uh, tied to these mother boxes that are gonna tie into justice league and Zack snyder was like laid all this out was doing all this free work for warner brothers he set up the Cy- cyborg movie he set up the flash movie he was he set up the wonder woman movie one hundred percent, and he even uh, i think he even uh, plotted out the first wonder woman-, woman movie he like built this whole thing for them and then when he turns in justice league they're like actually we're going to get rid of you and bring in joss whedon at the 11th hour who has just been fired from avengers to come and try and fix it and then like that ends up they end up you know never putting out the cyborg movie which they were supposed to put out uh, rearranging their schedule like just panicking leaving their whole Thing in disarray they had a surprise hit with joker todd Phillips, uh, todd phillips kind of saved their asses there with joker i don't think they should actually get any credit for for that um but yeah like it's just a, been a complete you know disaster and like just all these bad bad decisions that make less and less sense the more you think about them
0: and it's just such a shame, too, because I, you know, I didn't love Wonder Woman, Aquaman, or Shazam, but it's like those actually technically were supposed to take place in this DCEU.
1: Like, they pissed off Henry Cavill, and so he he uh, didn't want, and they didn't want to pay him for doing a cameo in Shazam. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, they they, fi- they fired Henry Cavill, I think, to- Henry Campbell, I think twice, a guy that everyone loves, that everyone knows is the perfect Superman, that everyone is in love with, and they fired him maybe twice
0: now. That's fucking ridiculous. I mean, and and the funny thing is, he's actually a pretty decent actor. I yeah. Mean, he doesn't really show his full range in the, in the movies he's been in of Zack Snyder's, but, like, I mean, actually, I would say that his little moments in the Snyder cut – feel more heartfelt and like better acting, you know, than anything in this than the Whedon version. So like they even took out these little touches that Henry Cavill does that made his performances feel stronger. Gal Gadot's also, I mean, just even her line saying "Kalel" like when he appears at the end, like that's not in the Whedon cut, and it's like, why would he take that out? It's just like for a, it's like a two second line. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I should note that the Weeden cut version is exactly two hours long. Like with credits, is two, basically almost almost to the second two hours long. It's a couple of seconds longer than two hours, which was what the uh, studios demanded. And well, I guess. that was the most important thing like it didn't like all these little moments that we're saying were nice all these things that are baffling us like the the flash scene is a big one that people have been complaining about that's one everybody's been pointing to as like a scene that is obviously great obviously should have been in the final cut because it very economically introduces the character in an amazing way and they just completely remove it Uh, from the weed inversion and you just all you see is the flash is when batman shows up in the cave in the surveillance video again i think
0: or yeah and i think that there's that they basically replace his whole ending scene um and just spoilers for this is really going to be the only spoiler really in the whole episode which is kind of interesting we didn't we didn't go too far in spoilers (laughs) but I mean, it, the ending climax, action climax involves Flash running really fast in a circle to achieve a certain amount of speed in order to essentially do something to to unsink the mother boxes, which is Cyborg is trying to make sure they don't sink. Um, and in the in the Whedon version, they do some reshoots and it includes quite a bit of CGI as well um, of uh, Flash and Superman sort of competing with each other to see how many civilians they can each save. And Flash. You know, saves that, I guess, Ukrainian family, which which Joss Whedon inserts into the movie, and Superman saves an entire, I don't know, office building, school, apartment building, and that's it. That's, that's basically all Flash, that's the only moment he's given um, in the movie, and it's just, yeah, it's actually shocking that they would remove one of the coolest scenes ever in any of these superhero movies.
1: Yeah, that's that Flash scene. I like I've never been a big Flash fan, but that is like peak Flash scene and like he really does a great job as the Flash and you kind of feel for him like he's not the big a big tough guy, he's just a guy who can run really fast and there's always a consequence whenever he runs fast there's a consequence. Usually he trips and he falls and he gets hurt because he's just going so fast or it's something even worse. Uh, can happen as we see without uh, getting into spoilers. But yeah, that scene at the end was really kind of mind blowing and is it exactly the sort of thing you want to see from a top level superhero movie. It just like really, really worked really well. And when I see that, I can't imagine get- looking at that and throwing that in the trash and saying yes bring make it instead of the flash doing this big amazing thing to save uh, all his friends he saves this random ukrainian family <laughs> that just happens to be in the way and so he doesn't really have anything to do with the fight itself
0: it's astonishing and maybe they just at that point were like fuck it, we're not going to spend all this money on Zack Snyder's ending. And that's what makes me also think maybe there... I still wonder if there was some malice or something between Zack Snyder and the studio that just went beyond artistic, creative differences, which is always a a fake fake PR statement anyways. (laughs) Um, But there's just so much probably still to learn about what actually happened between all these people. I I I didn't ask for your input when I was throwing out uh, things that I think Zack Snyder was inspired by. What I would recommend people go watch—that's um, already out there from the DC universe. What would you recommend if people were like, "Oh man, I didn't even know—you know—I didn't even know anything about the Justice League before I saw this. I, I really enjoyed this, and I sort of want to check out more stuff like this." What what would you tell people to go watch?
1: Oh, I definitely watched the um, Young, Gust- Young Justice cartoon. Um, the yeah. Justice League cartoon, the Har- Harley Quinn cartoon. If you want something funny and adult humor, and the Harley Quinn cartoon is actually very good. Like if you're into any kind of adult like humor, you don't have to be into superheroes. You can you'll enjoy Harley Quinn. It's a, a very very genuinely uh, funny show. But yeah, I, I it, for comic books like this, I think you know it's hard for me to recommend any of the big event books because they're the ones that are most similar to this. But all of those big event comic books, unlike the Snyder cut, they lack a completeness and the cohesiveness. They're always like, like Snyder is actually, as you said, he's playing with all the characters himself. And most of those event books, those characters are being written by, dozens of different writers and then they have to come in to the event book and it's not really as cohesive because maybe it's not the real Batman now maybe it's John Paul Valley in this crossover you know event maybe Superman has a a freaking uh, mullet in this time so it's all those crossovers always get the characters at like strange moments so I think maybe the pure the purest one like this will probably be something like um kingdom come kingdom come would be uh, really comparable and actually the dark knight returns series the dark knight strikes again which i don't think is that good but you know is trying to do similar things i think to zack snyder where he's bringing all the characters in and playing with them
0: yeah and i was trying to think of a a comic book era of the Justice League that reminds me of what we saw in the movie. And I guess the best one I could come up with is the Grant Morrison run of yeah, the Justice Grant League. Yeah, Grant Morrison,
1: grudgingly. Grudgingly, I say, I mean, because I, I have a lot of criti- criticism Same. of Grant Morrison. I think most of those are pretty good, but they have a lot of the flaws that Grant has, and I don't really think his stuff that comes out after is any good. But I think, yeah, his, his run of just Justice League is pretty good, and his run of uh, X-Men is pretty good. As well, did but, he do uh, Ultimates or did he? He did do... New X Men. Oh, X-Men. I
0: didn't even know he did that. Interesting. Yeah, I would actually be interested to read a Marvel comic that he did.
1: Yeah, you should actually read New X Men. I can highly recommend that one. I haven't re- reread it in since it came out, basically, but I remember it very, very um, fondly.
0: What's funny too, I just realized this that I didn't even think of this before, but you know, Zack Snyder has sort of made a darker version of what some of the justice league is like in the comic books currently um but you know the marvel universe actually was working off of the ultimates uh series you know they were working off the yes. ultimates universe the the marvel cinematic universe i mean was and that was distinctly darker in the comic books but they like sort of kidified it in the movies they made it more This yes. is sort of interesting Reverse uh, strategy they use to adapt that material. Yeah, that
1: is interesting. But they kiddified it, but also kept the, but they they kept the paramilitary aspect <laughs> that was brought in yes. by people like Mark Millar. Mark Millar, who is a socialist, um, who is writing some of these things with some bit of detachment and irony and critique too. Cause he was trying to make his ultimates kind of a critique of the war on terror. Now Mark Miller is not always the, uh, he's, he's, he, a lot of the, the negative things people say about Zack Snyder are actually true about Mark Millar. Um, yeah. but he, he was trying to do a critique. And so when you bring the sanitized Hollywood version of it, instead of it being critique, is just that the Marvel superheroes are now like Blackwater and paramilitary and CIA, and but there's no critique there. There's no sadistic humor there. There's no them, you know, being complete. There's like the Hulk doesn't eat people, you know, like <laughs> like like it's just a very different stuff. Like that when you take. You make it, you push it to the extreme element, then you remove the extreme stuff and sanitize it, but keep the aesthetic. Which is, you know, a military-like aesthetic. When you keep the ties to Shield and Shield as this, C- like the the CAA like operation that is now central to all of the MCU in a way that they weren't in the comic books. Like Shield was not like that important. Like if everything didn't revolve <laughs> around Shield before the MCU. Like it's just a, a strange. Well, until the ultimate, the ultimate thing was trying to kind of bring all these disparate marvel worlds into simple things like okay there's one x-men comic right not you know 50 there's all the avengers are working for shield shield brings them together they're all brought together fantastic four they're all in the same city they all know each other it's all kind of trying to create a more cohesive marvel uh but it it, when you bring when they brought it to the Mark to mcu they just shaved off all the sharp edges of it when they made it to the mcu and it just like it brings you with this hot just just propaganda just positive propaganda for the military instead of this like gross sensational very 90s style send-up of it
0: 100 percent, yeah and i always felt that the marvel movies were a little bit on the restrained side in terms of like their visual effects Spectacle. I mean, some of the Avengers movies really, you know, get there. Doctor Strange is a gorgeous looking, ex- almost like borderline experimental visual effects movie that I, I appreciate on that level. But, like, if you really go back and look at some of the early Marvel movies, they really kind of almost look below the bar of what was considered like high, high quality sort of tentpole summer blockbuster yeah. movies captain america first avenger it's clearly shot on digital camera from the time it looks kind of almost like that michael mann movie collateral it has this very obvious digital look um questionable compositing special effects It it's fun it's a it's definitely a fun it works but it's like they're cutting all these corners i mean but the first dceu movie Man of Steel is like a visual effects masterpiece in comparison. I mean, the opening sequence to Man of Steel is like Avatar, but on Krypton. I mean, it's like ridiculous. Yeah. So <laughs> that also has yeah. to be said, you know. Yeah,
1: it has to be said. Like, like I, I said, like I feel sorry for people who just like hate superhero movies and thought that people were done caring about them because most of their friends are like are now like marvel sucks and now they're all excited about the snyder cut and they don't understand why because they think it's all the same and it's because like the it, the dcu actually has allowed allows some art artistry and some arturoship uh to take place in the movies that you really don't get in the mcu that just look and feel more of the same they look and feel even though they're very expensive movies but sometimes they just end up looking really cheap because so much of it is done in CGI. Like the actors are just standing in front of a green screen uh, in Atlanta. Like <laughs> Robert Downey Jr.'s head is just pasted on. Floating. He's typing in. <laughs> and so like, you know, there's a lot of money spent on these things, but they end up not looking very, very visually impressive. The visuals are done before the movies, years before the movies, yeah. before the script is done. Like you can't, you just that's just you can't make a good movie like that you can make an efficient movie you can make a serviceable movie you can make a satisfying movie but i don't think you can really make a visually stunning movie the way marvel does or disney on the whole like even um the mandalorian which a lot of people like and but the way they shoot that is that they just stand in front of this big um sort of led screen Mm -hmm. and it does have a certain it does give allow them to have like these backgrounds that are pixel perfect, you know, that looked they can make it look like anything they want, but that limits how they can shoot their characters, it limits what they can do with lighting, it limits what the scripts can be because they have to be standing in front of a screen for us uh the majority of it. So even though the screen might cost a ton of money and they might spend a ton of money on the visual effects, it still ends up looking to me a little a bit cheap because I can tell it's not real people in a real place. Like the camera can't turn around and spin around and show me anything else. And when and that's the thing that sort of makes something feel cheap to me. A lot of people, I, I guess, I have a, like a different feeling about cheapness. But the, when I can't feel like I'm in a real place, that's when a movie feels cheap to me. It's not. It's not like the, the the grading, like a something like even Blair Witch, you know, which mm-hmm. it deliberately is meant to look have like a VHS look. That only look. That doesn't look, feel look feel cheap to me because that takes feels like it takes place in a real physical space. And Zack Snyder, I think, does a very good job of making sure that everything has weight. All every time somebody hits somebody, it crunches. Every time somebody hits a wall, you hear it, you feel it. But the Marvel movies, I just it feels like people floating in front of a screen, and it just doesn't have that weight and that impact. And it, and two people are you know standing next to each other but you can tell they're not in the same room because their <laughs> schedules didn't line up they couldn't get all the chris's together it's just that like you feel that sort of like cheapness that that paste togetherness in the marvel movies when even though technically he did some of that stuff in the snyder cut he pasted some stuff together especially the epilogue is pasted uh, together and done very cheaply but he's able to do he does it in a way that disorients you that throws you all so you're not questioning as much as you do uh when you're watching uh the average marvel movie
0: well that's the beautiful thing here that as an artist he has the luxury of sort of almost rewriting history a little bit about actually what he intended, you know, because yeah. that artist can always do that. And it, But this is an unprecedented scenario, uh, which we should mention. But then he can also, you know, he has the luxury of more time. I mean, the amount of polish on this movie is a luxury that not very many filmmakers that have made movies like this have had, where they can add this much detail to the special effects even get a chance to redo a full cgi villain and just you know erase his his presence and then just do another cgi villain that looks way better like that's i mean that's crazy i mean george lucas might be the only person who's done something like that before (laughs) and it wasn't with the same Uh, let's say positive um, or heartfelt creative intentions it was for you know like his bizarre obsession with just you know I don't know if you call perfectionism or just OCD or what Um, but the but yeah it's like it is really incredible to think how much this is sort of one person's vision although I'm sure the studio meddled before we don't know the scope of how much they meddled
1: Dude, that's the thing. He had like this whole plan. He had an idea. Now, understand if you're an executive, you get a little scared, you see the negative reviews of Batman versus Superman. Maybe you refuse to take any responsibility for forcing him to cut it down. Uh, Which is what so I was going to say.
0: Yeah, mention, I mean, let's say here that the, they cut it down so much for the theatrical that it, it actually doesn't, some of it doesn't make sense the way it was theatrically presented. The, the extended version, it, it's like, oh, that, that now that scene makes total sense. It's it's sort of shocking that they would, you know, compromise um, some of the. I don't know if we call it B plot. Some of it seems like A plot. It's like important. To understand yeah, it was it.
1: like the it was it was the A. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, they 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 took a lot out of Batman. They just they just keep getting scared. They just keep they don't want to They don't know what they want. Is the main problem with the WB executives? They just haven't figured out what they want to do. They man of steel comes out it makes a lot of money maybe the reviews aren't that great but it makes enough money that they're announcing the sequel and they're very happy with it batman vs superman comes and they're like "Zack is going too far it's too dark but like they knew what they were getting into like like wh- why at the 11th hour are they like all right we need to cut this too- it's too long when then when you know marvel famously when the russo brothers said we're going to do two three hour long movies marvel disney was like okay we're going to um run all the theaters there's not going to be any movies that are even like th- that was the confidence that disney had in their product like yeah we're going to put out a three-hour movie and the movie theater is going to play it on um, five screens and that's going to be on the movie you get to see for a month is a, our Marvel movie. And while WB had the exact opposite reaction, we're like, we need to get this movie down super short. Otherwise the movie theaters are going to be mad at us. And like, no, it's Justice League. You can make it. It's Batman and Superman. Make a long one. It's okay. It's just, it's this weird lack of confidence in themselves, and the choices that they own already made, and then this extreme hubris to think that they can change their their path at the last minute after principal photography is finished, just mind boggling.
0: And uh, you know, this already this also happened with um, Rise of Skywalker to a, a ridiculous degree. Uh, like I think only a few months, three or four months before the release date you know, for a movie that's so important with so much writing on it, it's like, it's kind of horrifying in a way that they would, that's how they would leave this the Skywalker legacy or whatever they want to (laughs) call it. Like that they would leave it with a movie that obviously, you know, had rushed CGI in sections, that whole, what was that, uh, that ice planet that they go to? Like some of that just looked like they couldn't, you know, they just couldn't finish it and they're like, just make this really dark. You know, a lot of the scenes with Palpatine were super dark. It, so you just wonder like how much of this that shit was just really rushed that they would that they would spend so much money but then just like basically like ah oh, fuck it we just gotta put it out <laughs> and that's really it, how this it, shit is
1: yeah yeah it, we'll never be able to understand because they're just like they're, they're basically different species than us they're rich people like there's their decisions don't have to make sense we just have to execute them (laughs) like so like they they can screw over this zack snyder guy who they brought in they wanted to work with him they asked for him they gave him the keys to the kingdom and then every stop they're like no you can't do this you can't do that and they finally push him off after he's already filmed a 200 million dollar movie for them that's just ready to go out the door basically more or less bring in someone else do 25 million that we know about of uh, reshoots don't finish the movie in time put it out anyway because they want their bonuses uh before the merger and then basically like just kill their incipient, you know, DCEU universe that was built supposed to be, would have been building momentum with, you know, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Shazam, people liked all of these movies. And instead we were getting, you know, the Whedon version of Justice League, um, Birds of Prey, which I thought was good, but really like, nope, most people didn't like or really did, and they really did a poor job of marketing it. Too. It's not even, I don't even think it's the problem with the movie. It was the problem with the marketing. They really did a bad, poor job of that. Sure. And they didn't really do it. And they deliberately didn't tie it to the other stuff. They didn't have Jared Leto do the, the a cameo, suit. for example, which is just strange to me. Just all these like really strange decisions, not wanting to pay Henry Cavill to be, to do a cameo in Shazam, you know, like, yeah. and firing him like the best Superman that you're ever going to bizarre bizarre and you and you notice that they're and they spend so much time like trying to fight this in the press like ray fisher specifically mentioned that the reason that they announced that they're doing the black superman with ta na Coates is to deflect from the results of the investigation that showed that they allowed you know racist abuse on the set of uh, justice league like and i think that's a fair assessment they like you could have got like it it, you don't have to hire Tony East Coast. You could, you already had a black movie. You already had, you, you know, you like Justice League was already a black movie. You know what yeah. i It's nice to get representation behind the camera, but the fact of the matter is you already like could have gotten some cookie. You could have gotten some woke points just with that because Zack Snyder turned in a very diverse uh film that you, you could have promoted as, oh, look, all these Amazons are in it. You know, I, I just imagine like the, like the, when they did the Spartan, when they did the um, press blitz for um, 300, they would do all these little vignettes on E and stuff about the workouts that the uh, Spartans do. What if you do that with the Amazons? Like, that would be, that's such good press. That's such good PR. Like, that, <laughs> they, like you have this movie centered around Ray Fisher, this great young black actor who knocks it out of the park. Um, he had, Zack Snyder had brought in um, an Asian, uh, Asian actor to play Ryan Choi, who is the Adam from the comics. That's another character. And Zack Snyder has been trying to pitch WB to make this movie, have it be a, all, uh, shoot it in China, make it a, shoot it, produce it in China entirely. Uh, this uh, Asian American character. And, and like they refute, they just, they allow Whedon to cut that character entirely out of the movie for no real reason like and he's an actual superhero this is a superhero Zack Snyder cast and say here here WB here is a few hundred million dollars on the plate I have delivered this to you and then you're just like no we don't want it we don't care
0: and ultimately I think that's one of the strangest things about all this i mean uh, there's so many strange things about this leslie it's an unprecedented thing no movie has ever this has never happened to any movie before to this level Um, but one of the strangest things of all is to cut out essentially your main character who (laughs) happens to be black and is like does a great performance and to completely cut that out of the movie to such an extent where his actual presence in the theatrical cut just seems like dumb and almost like a distraction it's sort of like oh this is not this is not that really cool that cool you know
1: yeah it seems superfluous instead he's like the key character in this and his story has so much heart for you know a superhero story that you just don't really see in this sort of stuff i understand like, I, I don't know what they, how they could look at that and be unhappy with it and want more jokes and want, like, the Flash landing on top of, you know, Gal Gadot and all this other stuff that he added to the movie and shot that just, like, absolutely does not work on any level. Oh I just... It's such is such a thing. Like even if, like if you if Weedon has shown me his cut, like I would be on the phone to Zack Snyder. Like I just don't understand that. Like I, if I thought my job was on the line, I would be on the. I would have watched that and been like, okay, no, you don't know what you're doing. We need to go back. If if I had seen the test for the C, the uh Superman lip. The must with the reshoot lip, I would have said no. Okay, that just doesn't work. It just it it looks horrible. It looks, I I don't know what they were thinking. It it, and we'll never really get the full story. I'm sure they've self justified a hundred times to themselves. That's, you know, but it just. Man, I like it's a fascinating story. I hope we hear more about it, but I do the main thing I want to get away with, even though I love the Snyder and I think it's a, you know, great superhero opus. The real like thing that gets to me is like this decision to make the weed and cut. Like it's like a true crime story almost, it really you, is. Know, like a, you know, like it really has some layers to it that we could really dig into
0: and we need to hear the full story there's going to be like an eight-part miniseries about (laughs) behind the scenes you know with all the twists and turns but i am imagining that there was you know if there was somebody in warner brothers who was there to sabotage the movie and poison fill the dceu at the moment when they saw the first uh you know test footage or the first superman with the cgi lip footage they probably like oh fuck this is exactly what we needed (laughs) to happen it's over, man. Yeah. You know. <laughs> and the, and how funny is it too that um you know, I'm I'm probably just stoned and think overthinking about this, but like the ending that Zack Snyder was actually able to do with the flash is almost like a metaphor for what happened to the movie. It's like the oh, it kills yeah. everybody. Destroys the what we you know every anybody caring about bringing the DC universe to screen, and then Zack Snyder has a chance to like reverse time and re- <laughs> redo everything. I mean, it's 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 kind of funny. I mean, I, I it was weird when I first saw it, I thought I was thinking that as like the ending was happening.
1: Well, that's a fun way to look at. It. There's a lot of things to read into Zack Snyder movies because he is trying to play on this mythological level, which you can read anything into. Like I, I was thinking about something. Uh, earlier where it's like so it the metaphorically this whole thing works is that like the decision to cut cyborg out of the movie is also reflected by the decision to cut ray fisher out of the reporting about this movie because most of a lot of the reporting about this movie is mostly focused on the alleged harassment that WB executives faced from Snyder Cut fans without talking about the actual harassment that Ray Fisher and Gal Gadot and the rest of the cast faced while filming the reshoots uh, with uh, with uh, Joss Whedon and so at the same time so while the executives thought that a black man couldn't uh, angry black man a wounded black man couldn't be the center of of this story about the justice league all these writers for i mean big places like you know vox you know um don't think that this black man should be the center of this story about harassment he's not sympathetic enough so instead they're writing about how jeff johns is like was like a victim of harassment or something
0: it's so weird and i i will still uh believe in my heart that somehow disney or marvel or some <laughs> somebody was doing some kind of propaganda campaign to help weaken uh the potential of a EU. i mean even just the talking point that everybody was like what's dc trying to think they're doing trying to pull off a, a group team-up movie with only three movies it's like what are you fucking yeah. talking about dude george Miller who made Mad Max, was trying to do it just with one movie, and he probably uh, could have pulled it off. Oh, yeah. That was the, the most bizarre <laughs> knock on this before. But the, the, the funny part
1: is the the Whedon cut kind of made you feel like it might be true, right? Like, oh, well, I guess it is impossible yeah, exactly. to bring this team together if this is the result. But, of course, you look at the Whedon cut and you see no, no, maybe you need to make a longer movie, but it's perfectly doable in a one sitting film to bring a team of superheroes together it's not so it's not any different than what ocean 12 does ultimately if you really like thinking about it, it's not an unusual thing to bring a team together in a in the movie and everybody already knows these characters and it's actually really elegant how snyder is able to give each one of them something to do their own little issue that they're trying to solve our work through just like a comic book would, um, and I think he does it really well. And like, and I think he it would have taken more time than WB liked, but it was worth that time. Like, but yeah, the 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 conspiracy theory, like it has some. I think it it, it reminds me of the conspiracy theory about WCW, because I'm not sure if you know uh, this, Robbie, but there are, you know two big wrestling companies back in the day, WCW and WWF, which we now know as WWE. And at a certain point, WCW uh, was beating the crap out of WWE for a very long time, but when Mike Tyson showed up in WWE, basically the victory, the winner of the ratings were switched to WWF, and they started winning once Mike... After Mike Tyson made his appearance and Stone Cold Steve Austin took off. Now, eventually, the head writer of WWE quit and moved to WCW. And basically, you know, WCW at that point was kind of flattering. They didn't really know how to win back the fans. They had a couple of good things going for them, like Goldberg, but they didn't really know. And this was, but it wasn't really like they were absolutely destroyed it was just they were on the back foot and this was supposed to be the thing that was was going to get them right because hey if you get the head writer from the other guy that's been beating us obviously we win exact opposite happened they went to the absolute lowest of lows had their worst you know time the writer was absolutely positively atrocious ruined ruin basically ruined the company is infamous in wrestling to this day as one of the most hated people in wrestling and people still believe that he was sent personally by vince mcmahon to destroy wcw all these years later he's never admitted it but a lot of people do feel that that is what happened and maybe we will find we will learn the same thing about whedon that he like Disney made him an offer he couldn't refuse. It's like you're going to get canceled pretty soon. We're going to let you cast this last check if you go over to DC and screw them up. I don't know.
0: Man, I, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm always gonna think there was some kind of sabotage here because it's just, <laughs> yeah. it's just fucking crazy to think that they just tanked the possibility of, of you know, they had, they still have a Black Adam movie on the slate. Yeah, uh, and now it's just really weird because.
1: Because who is Black Adam going to fight? Henry Cavill? They, I think they fired him again. Like, I guess
0: Dr. Fate, <laughs> they just announced that uh, Pierce Brosnan is apparently playing Dr. Fate, which seems like they still have quite a lot invested in this DC universe of, of characters that no one's really even heard of. I mean, it just seems it's so confusing, Lizzie. I think maybe we should just leave this episode off by reflecting on how unprecedented this is for any filmmaker to be able to have a redo like this, unless you're you know pretty much a billionaire like George Lucas is, I can't think of anyone who's ever had an opportunity like this, any example of a film where you can actually see two completely different alternate versions. I mean, maybe that one Exorcist prequel movie, it might be the closest thing to what happened here, where they basically shot two different versions of it um, with two different, I think, directors behind, uh, them. Um, but it's just such a weird thing. And I'm just wondering, I'm, you know, everyone's like, Oh my God, this is going to open the door for toxic fandom to dictate (laughs) redos of movies. You know, it's like, I'm excited for like anybody, um, you know, who has clout or who can start a campaign to get their vision of what their movie was meant to be, uh, somehow done you know first you know i i think like the guy who made the ghostbusters reboots is like a three-hour version i don't want to see that movie i, I don't want anything having to do with that movie to be have him come out as his vision because i don't <laughs> yes. trust that too but like any you know any of these other movies i'd want to see what the original like i'd even be interested in seeing what the original version of rise of skywalker was supposed to be um you know i mean it seems like it was supposed to be pretty different uh, they did a lot of reshoots on that. What does the original version of Star Wars Rogue One look like? They clearly did a yeah. bunch of weird retooling. Out. What's the original version of Solo look like? What's the original version of um you know, I'm trying to think of another movie uh that was we know a lot of meddling took place in.
1: Well, a lot of the Marvel movies uh, that people don't talk about oh, a lot the Marvel Ant Man, yeah. Ant Man yeah. uh has some significant uh
0: issues. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's so it'd be interesting and Iron was, Man
1: 2, I think, right? Iron Man 2, I think had
0: uh... I, I think so. Yeah. And um what was what was the other one I was just about to say Suicide Squad's a notorious example, which is also in the DCEU. Um Yeah. And apparently there is a a cut, you know, somewhere, some assembly cut or something of David Ayer's original vision we're probably never going to get to see that, but it would be cool if we could, you know, we could get some some of the more of these whatever whatever the snyder cut represents um but it's just hard to imagine you know the amount of money that was just spent on on the post-production just with the snyder cut apparently 75 million dollars that that just seems like a a lot uh, to spend on redoing any movie um but they they somehow hbo wanted this you know and they did yeah it.
1: I mean it's from the advertising budget you know <laughs> like yeah.
0: I'm sure this is this is going to bring
1: people to hBO Max and that's all they want right now get those people in so I I am and it's probably better than any movie that they would have made for hBO Max oh for sure from like Netflix and amazon's production
0: <laughs> and yeah it's all I'm also excited um and I don't know if you're excited about the future of just live-action dc adaptations but I mean it seems like uh, HBO has absorbed whatever the DC streaming networks, all their stuff. Now they have it all on HBO Max. They're doing the Snyder Cut. Um, you know, they did they exclusively put out the Wonder Woman two, even though that sucked. Uh, so it seems like they maybe have something in store later that they're kind of cooking up, maybe without Zack Snyder. Um, but you know, what do you have? You heard anything about what HBO Max has planned in terms of like them bringing any other DC properties? to life
1: oh as far as i know they didn't have like big plans if anything that were because the because they started the dc universe app and they had all these shows and then like swamp thing infamously got canceled like before during its first season because they had miscalculated miscal- cal- some tax rebate they were going to get so they canceled the show before they even yep. had finished airing it because there was just no way it was gonna be but they have a couple of, they're doing a harley more harley quinn more young justice there's going to be i think a green lantern series peacemaker is the big thing that i think people are talking about which is going to be a john cena mini spin spinoff of um
0: suicide squad oh, suicide
1: yeah of the, the suicide squad is oh, what they uh, wrote, okay. call it bizarrely bizarre absolutely bizarre but uh again that's them running away from their own success because they act like suicide squad was just this huge flop it made a ton of money and people like it the average person likes suicide squad as much as they like venom like but but they have no confidence in their own stuff and their own creations they didn't like they didn't tie harley quinn to suicide squad like they should have um and and they just make these mistakes i actually think it might be a mistake to like put out you know, the Suicide Squad in theaters, maybe it's going to come to HBO Max too, and then, like, immediately do the spin-off series with John Cena. Like, it just makes those characters feel a little bit less special if they're supposed to be, like, coming to TV, too. Like, they they did a really cool Ezra Miller cameo on The Flash once for their Crisis on Infinite Earths. Like, that kind of worked. That was kind of interesting. That was kind of fun, but I don't think, like turning now this into a TV universe, unless you're doing something really special. Like there was rumor that they might do something like Snyder and Affleck might do like a Batman type miniseries to kind of play out what they had planned with Destro. Now that might've been something special and worth doing. I don't know if this peacemaker thing is really worth it. It's just like you, you have John Cena and you want to use him, So you're just throwing him a show.
0: Yeah, and it also just seems like it's they're trying to chase again the sort of the Marvel way of doing things, like these Marvel Disney Plus shows, like Falcon and Winter Soldier, which is like a spinoff of you know Captain America. Yeah, um,
1: yeah, and these shows exist not because anybody wants them; it's just because they need content. So, like yeah. the Batman show would have made sense because that's something people were really wanted to see but a peacemaker no one wanted to see a peacemaker nobody knows who peacemaker is yet you're just announcing content
0: yeah and and who the hell knows maybe the idea they have for it's awesome i mean i'm willing to you know just wait and see what it's gonna be like but yeah i mean i think that what we saw in the Zack snyder cut we were really lucky to see a four-hour characterizations done with you know several of these dc comic characters you've never seen before on the big screen uh cyborg especially um they did justice they gave emotional weight even to aquaman in a way that you didn't even feel in the aquaman movie uh so there's things that Zack snyder pulled off that the marvel movies could only pull off in this sort of cheesy tv show way where it's like thor is having angst about things that happen in like Thor, the dark world, you know, when he's in like Infinity War, it's like, nobody fucking gives a shit about what happened. (laughs) It's like, that's like a TV show (laughs) episodic, like nod (laughs) and like a Star Trek Next Generation episode or something. Actually even cheaper than that in some ways. So (laughs) this felt more like legitimate, you know, it felt real as much as it's a corporate product. It felt more like real from just a written narrative is what I mean. So if Chris yeah. Nolan means this is not, you wouldn't do that in a real movie. Well, you wouldn't do that either in a real movie. That's like no, some no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if you want to leave it there, Leslie. Do you have any final thoughts on on Snyder cut or what happened to Zack Snyder? I mean, obviously he was wronged here on some level. Any any uh, venom you want to spew it, Josh Whedon? No, no,
1: I I, I think, you know, he's had enough. He's done. Even though HBO is announcing the new series that he originally executive produced and was involved with uh, up until a certain point. uh, That point being when Ray Fisher pushed for the investigation and then they had to sever ties with him. So they gave him a new show even after uh, getting the complaint from Gal Gadot about his behavior on the set. Just wanted to put a button on that and... Make it kind of clear who the good guys in this are, who the bad guys. So that actually is, like the DC Universe, it can be uh, quite black and white um, here. And, you know, be on the side of justice, be on the side of the right, be on the side of Snyder. You don't have to enjoy the movies, his movies, even. To uh, appreciate the fact that he was kind of screwed over by the studio and jerked around by the studio. He tried to work with him and they screwed him and screwed him over and over again, even after years after his daughter is passing and the big bosses say you have to work with snyder he comes in and they still screw him he had the uh, cameo i mentioned earlier where um uh, where he had uh, Travante rose this great actor young actor is going to be a huge star as green lantern and they refused to let him use it why probably because the green lantern he chose was black that he chose and not the white Green Lantern. I'm sure if he had gotten Ryan Reynolds in, which he tried to do, he tried to get Ryan Reynolds for a reshoot uh, to reprise his role as Green Lantern. I am fairly confident they would have allowed a scene in the movie.
0: Good point. Yeah. I mean, it is it is interesting how you automatically have here three Black characters that feel really organic to add to your superhero team, Martian Manhunter, Cyborg, and Jon Stewart, and they just didn't even consider going in that direction, you know, so it just, I don't know, I mean, there's so many odd decisions they made. You know, and what I, the reason I say that is because it wouldn't have seemed like a forced woke thing to do. It would have. Just, it would have worked on some level. Yeah, you know, it's, it's like,
1: really effortless. Yeah. How so. how diverse Zack Snyder's movies are, and that's after making the really awful and racist Three Hundred. Like that's just. It's just <laughs> he he made good. He
0: learns from his mistakes. Totally. Well, I hope uh, he gets to do you know other things with the DC universe in the future. I. I don't know if I'm that excited about what's it called Army of the Dead. I'll probably watch it, but um, it didn't, I mean, the trailer didn't sell me on it. Uh, But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to what he does next, you know, and I hope someone gives him a lot of money to play with for something in the future. Yeah. Like this. Well, thanks Leslie um, for joining me again on Meteor Roots. And uh, why don't you tell people where they can go, check out your stuff and uh remind them again when you're uh on the katie halper show
1: oh yes check me out at uh on struggle session at patreon.com struggle session or sesh.plus s-e-s-h.plus and you can hear me on the katie halper show every thursday uh at 7 p.m at, on uh youtube just look up katie halper you'll find it
0: all right leslie Thanks, man. Thanks for coming on again. It's always a pleasure. All right.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: If you liked what you heard on today's episode of Media Roots Radio, please consider becoming a Patreon subscriber of ours at patreon.com slash media roots radio. For as little as $5 per episode or $5 per month, you get access to our one premium bonus episode per month. And this month, we have a full listener Q&A with me and Abby. Very long episode going through all of your questions. So check that out. Thanks a lot. Take care.